Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. (laughs) Alright, so... You ready? Yeah, I was just looking up yeah, Maggie Dawson's other acting credits. Looked like she was on Babylon Five. That's what yeah. I said earlier. Did you not pay attention to a word I said? So? I was listening, <laughs> but I just saw the pictures. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just like remembering like Babylon Five's costumes. You know, the crazy thing is about her is that she actually, uh, after she left Babylon Five, she uh, ended up doing um, Jag for a little while. Yeah. So yeah. But then shortly after she left Jag, she actually pursued becoming a news reporter, like a correspondent. Mm. Like, that was something that was a passion of hers, apparently. Yeah, yeah, right? Um, But she was actually on CNN for a while. Hmm. She was actually a reporter on CNN. um, Or an anchor. Okay, yeah. Not necessarily a reporter, but... um, Yeah, I always thought that that was was kind of an interesting move for her. It's just sort of like, bam, she just changed. Um, And she's one of those people that always feels... I don't mean this in a negative way, and I'm not trying to start some sort of discussion about her looks or, you know, sound sexist at all. I'm just saying that there's something fascinating that she's, she always has looked a little older. Do you know what I mean? Like, even when she was in her 20s, I would have bought her playing somebody in their late 30s. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that she looked old. I just mean that, like, the way she carries herself, the way that she kind of, like... There's, More ma- yeah. there's a maturity about her. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. could have said that much better. No, no, but no. considering this is the cold open, I could just cut it all. Yeah. But I'm not going to do that, fans, because we're here for another episode <laughs> of Fate's Wide Wheel. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're back to discuss The Leap Home Part 2. As you may uh, know, we were actually just discussing Leap Home Part 1, doing a big old session here with two episodes in a row. Sure. If, this, if we wanted to get more ambitious with our editing, this is where we would go... Last week mm-hmm. on Fate's Wide Wheel, <laughs> and then Sam would edit together some clips yes. from our discussion from last week. But we're not going to do that. Probably. I don't know. Now that you said it, I kind of <laughs> want to. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I was yeah. one, of, one of my first notes uh, about the Lee Poem Part Two is like this is one of the rare times yeah. on the show where we get last week. Quantum Leap. Right? Mm. Yeah. Um, which, so so real quick, I think everybody probably knows this if they're tuning in and have heard the last episode, but I do want to say that not only is it Dennis and I, but uh, Lawrence Brown has joined us again. Hello. Welcome um, back. And uh, we're going to chat here. Jessica might pop in. She's got a couple of other things to do, but um, might hear from her. Um, but you're right. Yeah. It, it, it's such a convention, I feel like, of 80s television and sure. kind of on into the 90s as well where you would get that you know last week on or previously on you yeah. know that would happen even on sitcoms you yes. know there'd be that special two-part episode where it's yeah. like previously on family matters i don't know why i picked family matters but <laughs> sure <'cause laughs> yeah. Family matters. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah um so yeah it is interesting that this is I, one of maybe only two or three episodes where this happens maybe yeah yeah um, and it's Deborah Pratt's voice, yeah. who also does the, the saga cell, um, and and does a really good job of hitting you know all the marks, hitting the highlights, yeah, uh, of, of Leap Home Part One, and uh, and then we're back in the jungle with our footage from Predator, 
yeah. uh, <laughs> spliced in with uh, the the onset footage from, from Quantum Leap. Uh, this episode is directed by Michael Zenberg, another name we're familiar with. He's directed a handful of episodes prior, and we'll direct more after this. Uh, written by Donald P. Belisario. Uh, air date is October the 5th, 1990. Our leap date is April 7th, 1970. Mm-hmm. We're in Vietnam, and Sam is left into Signalman second class Herbert Magic Williams, who will pretty much just only be called Magic for the entirety of the episode. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I just felt like... As a good podcaster, and yes. I should list that full name because mm-hmm. Don Belisario wrote that down at one point. He, he did. did the work, yeah. So why yeah. shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that's interesting to note for mm-hmm. just 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 for the hell of it is that this is the second time that Sam has leapt into a black man with the nickname of Magic. Huh. Yes, I <laughs> have. All blues. I have oh, noted yeah. that before too. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Never got around to Magic Johnson. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. Unfortunately, not. Although Al would have been courtside if had. <laughs> yes, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and it, so, yeah. As we were talking about last time around, the leap in. He's still yelling Tom from the leap out at yeah. the basketball game. That alerts the rest of the SEAL team that something's amiss. Sure enough, there's sappers in the trees. They light the trees up. When everything's said and done, they, they're, uh, they're Chu Choi, which is the, the Viet Cong guerrillas that were aiding American mm-hmm. soldiers, is dead um, in the water, but all of the, the SEALs have survived. Um, and then next, we you know see them there on a helicopter flying back to base, mm-hmm. and um, then we get introduced yeah. to the colonel. And colonel, yeah. So uh, I, I can't remember which happens first. Like, we, we get some voiceover from Sam, like, you know, you know he's alive, you know. Yes, I, right. I've, I've leaped into Vietnam. I have, have another chance to save him. We get intercut with uh, Deke and Maggie at the base talking, and we get introduced to, to Deke and how egotistical he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes so far at one point to say that when he was like saluting his father's coffin, it just made the like base newspaper yeah. where I mean, John Jr. salutes his dad and that makes a cover of time. It's yeah. Like, you're equating right. I don't even think like, when he I don't think when he was a kid he was saluting like his dad's coffin. Like he was just out of the bed to just like saluting. Oh, God. Like he was equating that with John Jr. saluting uh at JFK's funeral, yeah. Oh, Deke. Oh, so, uh, he yeah. does. You know, I will say he does. He does have a couple of moments in the episode, though, where you're just sort of like, you know, you're kind of an egotistical horn dog, but at the same time, I, I I can see where you're coming from. I'll allow it. He is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is Especially by is. the very end of the episode. Yeah. But you are called Deke. You are, yeah. <laughs> but you are, yeah. You are turned Deke. You have a you have a helicopter called Deke's Dragon, right? It's interesting because I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the character has anything really in common with like Robert Duvall's character in Apocalypse Now, but it's clear that there's supposed to be enough of a kind of like, you know, this is this is the Quantum Leap team, yeah, with their nod, their tip of the hat. I mean, almost Francis Ford Coppola, and you know, yeah, well, Apocalypse almost like now. with Sam creeping his head back up out of the water in the opening scene. It all it's almost kind of reminiscent of, of the famous shot of Martin Sheen. Rising up out of the water, oh. apocalypse now. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Martin Sheen, not Charlie Sheen. In platoon, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, 
Yeah, uh, but yeah. This uh, is uh, and Maggie Dawson is played by uh, Andrea Thompson, um, who has had a lengthy career. Um, you know, we know her not only from this, but she was uh, Babylon Five, played mm-hmm. Talia Winters um, for about two seasons on that show. Uh, she was uh, in NYPD Blue for about three seasons, um, and then she was also in Jag, which is another. Belisario show. I remember it. Even um, in England. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and somewhere around, I want to say, I think it was after JAG. I believe, yeah. It was either right after JAG or, or in between JAG and NYPD Blue, or maybe it's the other way around, I don't know, something like that. She also had aspirations to be uh, like a news anchor. And um, she decided to like quit the acting game and wanted to be like a news anchor, and she was yeah. actually on CNN for a little while. Um Doing the news. Yeah. So, yeah. Determined to get the Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah, chasing it. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we're introduced to her, and she is clearly, like, she, you know, she's a photographer. Um, She seems to have no fear. Like, she's, but she's also very good at buttering up, you know, this colonel and Mm -hmm. just listening to his stories and acting like she's so interested in everything until she sees a helicopter coming in. Yeah. And one of the SEALs. Water skiing, sure, from the helicopter, yep. which can't be safe. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> probably even in 1970, there right. must have been issues with that. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so uh, we should say, yeah, Blaster is the one who is skiing off the back. Blaster is played by Patrick Walburton. Warburton? Walburton? I don't, I, I'm sure. I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't have IMDb up in front of me. I'm a terrible host. Uh, Patrick was, Warburton, not Warburton. Warburton. Right. Patrick Warburton, yeah. Uh, most notable recently of the uh, uh, national TV commercials. Uh, go national. Go like a pro. How hmm. about that? Yeah. Right. The name sounds very familiar. He was also the Tick. Uh, uh, that's in, what in it the is. Yes. Ninety series. Yes, that's where uh, he also played. Uh, uh, he was also a, a recurring character on Seinfeld. Yep, which was show I was in. But, but yeah, and uh, it's he, funny because. Um, we don't actually see him up close through any of this scene. Yeah. But at one point, well, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. At one point, one of the soldiers starts sniffing the air. Yeah. And then he, like, while they're on the helicopter, and then he kind of rises, and he kind of hangs out the door of the helicopter, while they're in the air, mind you. Yeah. Turns around, looks at all of the fellows in the helicopter, and says, Round Round eyes! And at this point, even, like, the pilot is excited. They basically make a move. They lose Blaster. Yeah. He's just gone slack the rope. Yeah. Sam, of course, is very concerned about this. But the rest of the guys are all just sort of, like, jazzed up. Because yeah. apparently, he has smelled the fact that Maggie is yes. there in the camp, like, a mile away. Yeah. Discuss, gentlemen. Discuss. <laughs> I mean, Discuss. Uh, I mean, we. Yeah, I mean, we can pick the moment apart, but it's. I, I mean, I didn't watch any of other uh, Don Bella series like like Gung Ho or things like that. I like that. This is very much like in his element, like his sensibility when it comes to like writing about soldiers and yeah, men in war and yeah. yeah. It's one of those things that feels very inexcusable. Yeah. And yet, I think contextually, you know, one of the things that we always try to do with the show is talk about things in the context of like when it's set, when it's made, and where we are now. 
And I think that where it's set, when it's set, you know, where these guys are, the stories that you hear, that you read about, other media that portrays it, like I, I've talked about China Beach a few times yeah. on the show, this is not foreign to us. Like, right. this is the type, this is the way that this is portrayed. Now, the veracity of that, we could talk about forever, but again, even in books, like, this is kind of what you get. Like, even the book that, that China Beach is based on, Never Going Home, like, there's a lot of this kind of stuff discussed in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not the only thing that pops out to us, but obviously, today, now, yeah, disgust, like you said. Yeah, of course, too, as watching it now, it doesn't feel right, but I mean, we are talking wartime, we are talking wartime at a time when, you know, um, military personnel were male, uh, predominantly, or fully, um, and so, it's just it could well be the reality of the discussions that a lot of people, not necessarily everybody, had whenever you put a, a, a woman in, into the mix. Yeah. Um, but still, it's it's sort of horrifying to see to see her be treated in that way, as if sure. she is, you know, the rabbit to be caught. Right. But once again, I mean, to, to, to think about this, that we still have the character of Sam, who, he, even if he doesn't, you know do it here necessarily full on throughout the series he's that one who just sort of he, he he makes it so that that stuff can happen but we can look at it as if those people saying it are the despicable ones in many mm-hmm. ways. yes that's yeah. a great point because uh, you know this is something that we definitely have talked about before that Sam tends to be the moral center in a lot of mm. cases. And again, even in this specific scene where he's more concerned about the guy that fell off the jet ski sure. than he is about the fact that the rest of them apparently have, you know, sniffed out the fact that there's a, not just a woman, mind you, but let's, let's just lay it all out there. A white woman. Right. Um, in camp. Mm-hmm. He's kind of oblivious to all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, he obviously doesn't have a good sense of smell. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's sometimes the Swiss cheesing of the brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, the the helicopter lands. At this point, the colonel's a little ticked off because he's you know clearly not the focus of, of Maggie's attention anymore. Maggie yeah. goes up to meet the guys, and they are there's definitely just like and even the proximity, like the way that it's filmed, how close they get to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, yeah. Arguably, how close she gets to them. Like, she's definitely feeding off of all of this. Mm-hmm. I say that very gently and respectfully, though, because I don't want anybody to write me hate mail that I'm trying to say, like, she's asking for it, because that's not what I'm saying here at sure, all. Sure. What I'm saying is, is that we get a picture of who Maggie is as someone who's very in charge of her sexuality and very comfortable around these men and kind of like, I know your games and I know your shit, so it's not going to threaten me. You're not going to, like, I'm not going to be dominated by you. I'm like, in charge of sure. her profession, too. I mean, yeah. Predominantly why she's there. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, at this point, they're starting to blame her for the fact that they lost blaster that yeah, he's gone because the yeah pilot had had banked to see her the colonel's very upset they're all very Dive sad after him yeah they're all very mournful because magic sam has said at this point he's like what about you know what about blaster and then all of a sudden tom's just sort of like in fact you know because he could have been carried out he drowned, yeah yeah he drowned he could have been carried out to sea in fact he's probably over there and he points over his shoulder blaster pops out of the water sure walks right up to her again very close to her yeah. dripping wet only in his shorts and what does he say? 
Mm-hmm. Um, he says something though. Oh, 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 oh! He, he no, he gets right up in her face and he says, "You're Maggie Dawson," and she replies, "In the flesh." Yes, in the flesh. Um, so I mean, it's yes. I mean, by by today's standards, like this entire scene and how she's treated it, it, it yeah, it's very icky. But also, I think it is also very reflective. I could say of the time, but in the right context, uh, men would act the, the exact same right, way. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, again, I, I, trying to just contextualize it all. I mean, these guys are, are, yeah, they're you know thousands of miles from home. You know, they're they're in this jungle that we don't know shit about. They're in this awful, shitty war. They're going off doing all these missions, and they never know why. They never know what they're going for. Um, which you know, I think plays subtextually into what we get a little bit later in the episode. But it's it's. Um, yeah, again, I'm not trying to excuse it, but sure. I'm certainly trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jess, you've joined us. Yes, I popped down to give my input on this. Uh, I thought it was interesting what you were saying about how the, the guys are all kind of ribbing on her and obviously, like, going gaga, like, I smell a woman in this, you know, in the vicinity. And she's definitely, like, she feels very secure and she's giving it back. She doesn't seem offended. She doesn't seem nervous about it. She doesn't seem awkward or embarrassed. Like she's definitely owning it. Um, and I don't know how much that is. Like, that's the character. You know, that's what the choice would be. I definitely think there are situations where you are. You're the only girl in the room, and you kind of play into that, and you flirt a little more, and maybe you kind of put up with annoying comments that you wouldn't normally. And, you know, she's clearly there's things that she wants and she's willing to go certain places to get them. Like you were talking about, she's kind of, I don't know how professional that is really. (laughs) She takes it very seriously, but at the same time, I don't know also like how much this is just the writers like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to have like a cool girl come in and like, you know, she's, she can hold her own amongst all these guys versus like, it makes their behavior seem a little less creepy because she is kind of going along with it and seems strong and, but I also kept thinking, like, how unsafe for her. Like, mm, yeah. I kind of, I, I thought about it more even afterwards, like, and just how unsafe for people that actually were in that situation. Because whether or not you're, whatever your choices are, whether you are kind of saying, hey, don't do that, that's gross. Like, I'm not going to play into your that. Or you play into it and you say things like, oh, I've had lots of experience. Like, I, you know, I can hold my own. I, you know, at night when she's sleeping in this room by herself, like how safe is she? Probably not very safe beyond yeah. just even they're at war. Like, right. but yeah, you, one guy, at least one guy, is going to have the idea of just sneaking to her bunker and yeah. yeah. I'm some of them you're... sort of imply that they're happy to do that. You know, that they, 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 there's definitely it's it's interesting. It was interesting, and I do think because they did make her such a strong character, like a strong, she's, is very much a professional in that, like, she cares so much about her, what her work is, and that she's, she is, has, seems to have no fear, so I think it kind of makes you feel a little less scared for her, and a little less grossed out by all this stuff, but yeah, like, the, I mean, just right off the bat, the guy, like, smelling that she's there, it's just, like, over the top, but I also don't know, like, maybe that's, how it is in these situations when it is a bunch of men that have not been around a woman for five months and here she comes and she's one of the guys but you know sure. it's very beautiful and so yeah it was yeah. it was interesting to I don't know it's just it's an interesting choice and it's a 
especially in today's day and age, when you think about the situations you get into and, you know, maybe she felt she had no other way to get on. I mean, she won a Pulitzer Prize. She let spoilers. I want to touch on a couple things. When you keep calling her cool girl or, or, are you referencing or knowingly referencing like that passage and, and gone girl? A little bit. Yeah. I think like she's clearly, she's, she's having fun. They're having fun. She's riffing along with them versus like being a drag and being like gross, like get away from me. Like I'm not interested in you guys, you know, or, or even just like not, not even, even saying anything aggressively. She could just be ignoring them or, you know, I, she's, I would think if you if you were a guy in in this group like this is the kind of girl you would hope would come in to mm. your who would show up that looks sounds like she's going to be a lot of fun like she's going to have a good time with them and mm-hmm. you know whether or not they get to sleep with her or not that yeah. she's, so, she's so 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 cool. to touch back for, for anyone who's listening uh, like cool girl uh, have you read have you guys read yeah. Gone Girl mm-hmm. oh, I have not. so there there's there's a there's a passage in Gone Girl where the 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 main woman character, I can't remember her name right now, where she goes on this thing in her, her, in her journal or diary or something like, cool girl does this, cool girl does that. Basically, like, cool girl lets herself be sexualized. Cool girl oh, lets the ahead. guy be disgusting and plays along with it because mm-hmm. that's better than, like, holding men up to a certain standard. You want, that's right. how you get them to all like you. And, and I do think, like, like you said, I don't think she's asking for it. I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with it. I, it's a, it's an interesting because I do think I, I'm curious to know how much of that is just the writers and the guys wanting somebody that is cool, right. and how much is like this is a real thing that does happen and people do behave like that. And I think it's some of both. I, I, Go ahead, I was gonna say. Sam. I'm, I'm going to shift gears here, so you guys. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, so what I wanted to throw out there real quick is I think that that's it, it, it's an incredibly good point to make. How much of this is, you know, Don Belisario, and I don't mean this again in in a bad way, fantasizing, you know, projecting this image of like, you know, of course this is the woman that I'm going to write into this scene because you know it's fun, it's sexy, it's you know whatever. And how much of this is also, again, you know, kind of reality? Because going back to uh, Never Going Home Again, which is, again, the, the biography that China Beach was kind of based on, when it came out, it got a lot of criticism and a lot of flack. So much so that apparently, like, the head of the uh, Army Corps of Nurses at the time came out saying, like, this is disgraceful, none of this stuff ever happened. If you think that, you know, nurses were over there sleeping with the soldiers or whatever, you're crazy. To which then a lot of nurses replied, if you think we were all over there absolutely not doing that, you're the one who's crazy. Like, of course we were. Like, you're talking about putting us over there for three fucking years in the jungle, having these bloody bodies come in day after day, minute after minute, doing all of this, all the pressure cooker that we're under. And then, you know, when when a young guy comes back and he's not blasted to bits and he's around for a while and we're at the bar and we have a couple of drinks and we're not going to bed with people to blow off some steam, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> like, and so it's it, it, it's just that sort of idea that I think that, you know, there's that version of the story that, you know, somebody up top wants to maintain is saying this is the way things were, whereas this is the way things actually are. And, and, and again, I, I think that it raises an interest. That obviously is a different question because this is reality versus 
you know, fiction, whereas this is, we're literally talking about, like, fiction versus fiction in a way. It's like, did the writers write the character this way in order to do this because it's not a real person? Mm -hmm. You know, it, was there a different way to do it? Um, so I think it's an interesting notion. Uh, that said, f for my eyes, I don't necessarily get anything about the character that feels bad or wrong or raises any flags to me about her. Mm -hmm. Whereas I do get like what you're saying about like fearing for her safety or whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, like the idealist in me wants to say like, no, of course she's fine. Like nobody's going to do that to her. Unfortunately, we know better, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it is super interesting. To I wonder if, if they could have stood to not lay it on quite so thick, mm -hmm. you know, at least mm -hmm. from the, from the, the, the male soldier's point of view, like being as animalistic as they you know were yeah and and al coming in now we, we're used to al being that way you know yeah. unfortunately but maybe this was an opportunity where even he could have been like eh, you know and and it could have just been one or two of them fine but it just felt very much like a group mentality around yeah it was like having a group of owls around <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Another thing that's kind of interesting we're noting too is we're only a few years off of when like the tailhook scandal would break and 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 you know the, which was a navy scandal about how women who were in the navy had been sexually harassed and you know potentially even raped and sexually assaulted certainly in today's the the, the conversation we have today would absolutely be sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Um that only that only the story of that only broke like what like 5 6 years after this episode aired I mm -hmm. think. Um, so I, I, even throwing it into that context and thinking about the way that she's treated, sure, you know, and it's, it, it, I guess the other thing that's interesting is the times that they almost crossed the line. Like when Blaster's like, I hear you have the biggest, roundest camera lens, right. you know, yeah. and it's sort of like, clearly we know that that's not where he's going, right. but that's, but, but that's where he decides to go. So it's kind of interesting the times where it's like, they do tread, yeah. you sure. know, that it is I don't know. Of owls. I mean, Al does yeah. that kind of thing. Cause Al literally, sure. Al literally, when he pops up, looks at her and goes, she has the biggest, roundest, and that's when Sam's like, camera lens. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, that's not what I was going to say. Yeah. <sighs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I want to shift gears cause I know we only have you short for a short sure. time. And I want to jump to the end of the episode and throw out the big spoiler. This is one, maybe the only time, or it's not the only time, it's one of the rare times in the series where Sam changes history in such a way where a person who did not die previously dies. Mm -hmm. And she dies in a very violent way. Mm -hmm. and, it's tr and, it, and it's like, as Sam puts it in the end, it's trading a life for a life. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in your opinion, like as a woman, like how does it land that her life got traded mm -hmm. so that Sam's brother could live. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess I didn't think... Because she so clearly and desperately wants to be there. Like, she took advantage of him as much as he took advantage of her, I think. Mm -hmm. Because she has been trying many methods to be able to be on that mission. And obviously kind of went with the... <laughs> you guys can talk about that later. <laughs> she makes, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily put too much blame on him. Yeah, it was he. He selfishly did try to get her on that mission for his own sure. purposes. But I think I almost feel like she would have found a way on there anyway. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, I guess if you look at the fact that 
she didn't. I guess that was the future that she hadn't. Um, I guess I'm thinking it not even from a from a like a, like where Sam was coming from. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking like where, where Donald Belisario, the writer, was oh. coming from. Of of like I said, this is the only time in the series where we we mm-hmm. trade a life and 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 it's a woman. Yeah. yeah. And so a woman who's treated not a woman yeah. who's treated that great. Anyway, so it's like she, you know, like she gets the consolation prize of she gets the thing that she always wanted right. after her death, mm-hmm. but she still trades her life in for the for someone that, else. The thought that just popped into my head, and, and maybe this is going a little too deep, but you almost have to ask the question of how highly does she value herself? Clearly, she values her work and her profession very highly. She's willing to do anything for it. But what is her own self-worth? Because she's so willing to... And again, I don't think that doing this means that she doesn't have any self-worth. But I just think it's worth asking. She's willing to sleep with the colonel. She's willing to sleep with magic. She's willing to basically sleep with any of them in order to get what she wants. Um, you know, she plays into to all of their banter and all their conversations um, she tricks she, them into being able to get off the helicopter into yeah. unsafe territory. I mean, she yeah. clearly has a lot of agency. Like, there's no denying right. that. Like, she's very much an in-control character. Another thing, yeah, I'm just going to say this. It's, it's an uncomfortable little thing to talk about, but I'm just going to say it because it's clear. She doesn't wear a bra at all through any of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, make no mistake, this is not me trying to say, like, oh, you know, she dresses that way, she's asking for it, or anything like that. But... To do that around all of these guys who haven't seen, you know, a, a, a American woman in quite a long time, like it, it's it, it just it's like is she is that one of the ways that she places a value on herself is with her her looks and her sexuality and that she sees that as currency as opposed to. I don't know, not or or what does that mean? I don't know. I, I think it's it, I, I think it's know. possible to like she can, she can have. Like respect for herself and her sexuality, but also like recognize like oh this is currency that I can use like if this yeah, is yeah. what I want no I agree yeah. I don't disagree I was just asking the question I don't yeah. disagree with that at all yeah. yeah but also at the same time like the whole bra thing like I can see where you're coming from but I could also see from her point of view like fuck you it's hot and humid out yeah. here I'm not wearing a bra yeah, totally yeah right 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 why why the hell am I gonna pack a bra yeah you know? right. yeah yeah no I think I guess you, what you said about her having agency I mean she she does she's she does always feel very in control. She is always making... So I don't necessarily... While I was watching it, I didn't necessarily fear for her amongst all these men. But it was more like an afterthought. And maybe not even specifically her, but just like women in general in that mm. situation. Um, but I think because she makes so many of her choices along the way that have nothing to do with what Sam's choice was to like get her to be on there, I guess it doesn't feel like... It almost feels inevitable that she was going to. Like, it feels mm-hmm. that it almost, this is weird to say, but it almost feels more right that that's how her story went versus the first story where, like, I'm assuming she didn't win a Pulitzer. She just kind of wrote some articles. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, like, she chose to put herself in that situation to get that picture knowing the risks. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what she would have chosen for herself. In a way, I mean, nobody wants to choose to die, but I guess who knows? No, I don't know. For sure. I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a special person I, seriously, to, no. to go to this yeah. war zone area. She clearly has, you know, high level of like willing to take risk, and she yeah. clearly cares so much about. I mean, and then that's the thing is like she's crying when she sees them, 
and she's taking this photo. Mm-hmm. It's not even just about yes. the photo. You know, it's it's yeah. she thinks it's so important that this photo is shared. Like that's it's not just I want to take amazing photos. It's like there's things that need to be shown. Yeah. And she's so invested in that that like and what does she say at the very end when she's when she sees Al? Oh, Pulitzer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but also, to speak to that point, like, there, there is, like, when she's running through the jungle, like, after she gets off the chopper, she crouches down and she says to herself, this is stupid, this is really stupid, yeah. but it's how you want to Pulitzer. And then she takes off and you get the yeah. shot and realize just and how like close it, she was. It to makes her feel like yeah. maybe she knows. Maybe she, she sees Al. She maybe somehow realizes. Somehow it makes you feel, and maybe this is just wanting to give an excuse to it, but, like, it makes you feel like somehow she knows what happens. And she's like, oh, yes, I won the Blitzer. Like, I got it. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the thing about her is, first of all, I, I love so much of what you just said. First of all, the, 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 the best part of it, about it is, is you might have hit on something I don't know that I've ever read in context of this episode. Because oftentimes we do put the focus on the fact that Sam believes that he traded a life for life. Yeah. That he just saved his brother. That this wasn't the way things were supposed to go. But you said it yourself that this was the right thing. That he did, he did put right what once went wrong. And perhaps what once went wrong had little to do with Tom and more to do with Maggie. And unfortunately, yeah, it resulted in her death. But it also resulted in her passion, her life's work, the idea that what she sees through her eye needs to be seen by the rest of the world to appreciate something, to learn something, is what ends up being her legacy. And because of the way that she dies, unfortunately, and where she puts herself, that lives on. And that final picture she takes of those POWs is monumentally important, so much so that it wins that Pulitzer Prize. Um, And maybe led to more interest in getting them home. Exactly. And and so I I, I think that, yes, all of a sudden, like, I'm loving and appreciating Maggie Dawson even more than I did prior to this discussion. And I think that she... I'm totally fine with everything now. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care the way they talk to her. I don't care the way she talks back to them. Like she's a badass, and she goes out there and she gets it. Been good, guys. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. This is a short episode. (laughs) Except for no, no, no. Stick around. Uh, around. But uh, but but anyway, uh, uh, no. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Jess. I really appreciate that. Dennis, were you going to say something else? I feel like I might have cut you off. Did I cut you off? No. Maybe I didn't. No. No. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) Um, it is interesting because there is. I think there's a lot wrong with it, you know, the way they treat her and the way she treats it. But the, I think, in a way, it does. It it ends up being better than maybe they intended it to because of, you know, all the stuff that we sort of talked about. I think it could have been. It's not just like Al oogling innocent cheerleaders who right. like are very innocently just standing there and he's making gross comments. You know, she's. It, 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 there is something different about it. Mm-hmm. And this in no way excuses that that banter, but right. what I will say is in the final scene, the appreciation they have for her as a human being... I was just thinking that. Not well, a sexual clearly, they're object. the ones yeah. that had to Key. have put, submitted this photo somehow. They, they went and right away developed it. So clearly, yeah. like, they... They had to be the ones to, to push it along, so they must have, yeah, had respect for work in some weird way. And and she even brings it up, like, when she's kind of having to rattle off her resume in order to, you know, get what she wants. She's like, I've been in a tank in Israel. I've been, you know, I've done this. I've done, you know, it's like, she's not, this isn't new for her. You know what I mean? Like, she's not just like, I got a camera, guys. I can take pictures. It's like, I mean, this is literally her life's work. So, Mm -hmm. 
uh, and she's put herself in, in dangerous situations before. Um, yeah. Hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, uh, the next our next scene. Um, I know we kind of have jumped around a bit, but our next scene is uh, basically they're uh, cleaning their weapons. Al has popped up. Al's yeah. in like full uniform. You, 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 yeah. And so yeah, uh, this is something I, I I thought about reaching out to Jean Pierre on Twitter and asking mm. him this question, uh, asking why they chose to put Al in an admiral's uniform the yeah. entire episode and my only thing that I can think of and we've, we've already jumped ahead and spoiled the end of the episode is like it, was it shorthand to tell the casual viewer tuning in at any point during the episode Al is military mm-hmm. so when you see him in the photo at the end of the episode yeah. it's not a surprise yeah. right Right. It is interesting. He does wear it for the entirety of the episode yeah. right? Like he doesn't yeah. ever yeah so um I don't know. Or, or my 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 only other thought watching it last night was just like with, with the color palette of everything else going on in the episode that having him in dress whites right was, sure. was the was the, was the I, simplest I, option. I think you're onto something with that whole you know trying to just remind the audience he is ex-military. I mean, he makes that that uh, comment. You've got that ace in the hole. Me, Me. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which has a double meaning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Um, but but I think it's sort of important to the episode. They're not just trying to tell us that you know Al's been there and done it. Therefore, he's a great guide to Sam in in this in this context. But we're gonna we're gonna hit you with something later on, so stay tuned, kind of mm. thing, you know. Right, because he does also, you know. I think the costume visually, yes, is definitely a marker for us. But even dialogue wise, very early on in this in this scene, basically, he starts talking about how, like, you know, I I was here, and you know, I was on the ship. We didn't have this. Like, we didn't have beer, warm beer on the ship, or we didn't have because he was on an aircraft carrier because yeah. he's a pilot. Yeah. Um, we know that and everything. But there's enough, even dialogue wise, that also kind of reminds you of the fact that not only is he in the navy or was in the navy or whatever, but he was an active participant in Vietnam. Right. Um, so yeah, I think visually and 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 you know, with the dialogue, it is it is made clear uh, to us that. This is a. I, I thought this earlier because I've always sort of been trying to rack my brain. Why do they title these Leap Home Part One and Part Two? Because in Part Two, it's like no one's home except for Al. That's ooh. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 it, and it's driven home even more. Because of the end of the episode, which we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think that's, uh, like, what I'm thinking artistically and psychologically, like, for the actor, why is he in that uniform? The other thing I kind of come up with is it's the idea that, of course he would be. Because mm-hmm. that's who he was when he was, you know what I mean? Right. Like, sure. Now, clearly he's not going to bust out, like, an aviator's, you know... Uh, 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 outfit or whatever, and you know, and show up there. But I think that, for him, there's this idea that... I that's who I was when there, so that's who I have to be now. Yeah, yeah. Or or not even uh, not who I was there, who I have to be now. It's like if he is good because obviously, like just being around that area will probably be like just very visually painful. Yeah. And so maybe the the uniform is actually a defense mechanism. Like sure. yeah, life sucked when I was there, 
but look what I became. Well, and not only that, like, and, and again, I'm not trying to excuse anything, but not mm. only that, like the idea that the, the way that he leers at, at Maggie as well, and the way that all these other soldiers are, and like you said, they're all kind of versions of Al. It's like, that's how they're, they're dealing with the situation that they're in. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's this mechanism. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily that these are all bad, you know, drooling hounds, you know, chasing the woman around or whatever. It's just that given their circumstances, yeah. that's, that's their outlet in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and so it's interesting the way that Al operates throughout this episode as the observer. And it doesn't seem like until the end, he lets it start to get to him about where they are and yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Um, because it would, it would be impossibly difficult. I can't even I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like for someone and and mm. and there are people out there that have literally done this but to have been a prisoner of war for 8 years and then you know 30 some odd years later be back there again yeah. mm-hmm. and what that would feel like yeah yeah yeah, you're not going to go there dressed in a neon jacket. I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we need to look at it. Yeah, no blinking yeah. star on your right. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So anyway, uh, so Sam was originally going to take a shower. Yeah, that's and everybody, right. And, it, and everybody else stole his idea, and that's how he got to, to cleaning his gun. So we got to that. And scene. it starts to rain. Yeah, and, and, and this is where we get to. This is where we get clarified that it is April the seventh. Tom was killed on the eighth. Yeah, he's gonna die. Yeah, we kind of buried that under all the other discussion. No, 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 yeah, it is important. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is the day before before Tom is killed, and then we jump into a scene where in uh, uh, one of the bunkers, tent, I think you can call it a tent, where where Sam is getting dressed and Al is instructing him how to dress. Right, no underwear, like, top yeah, button, right. button. Yeah, how to dress like a seal. You know, I do like they 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 don't dwell on it, but but Sam and Al are really comfortable with each other. Because mm-hmm. Sam is obviously naked, yeah, getting dressed, yeah. and like Al's not being modest, like they're 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 not doing a thing of like right. averting their averting their eyes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the nineties was uh, is well known now in hindsight, eighties and nineties, for that sort of like uncomfortable homoeroticism that you sure. find in like it's even in Friends, I believe, and yeah. Yeah. things that when you look at it now, you go. Why are you so concerned about that? Right. But they they didn't go there with us. You're quite right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure they do in other episodes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, so what is it like? So the mirror shot in this episode, it's the one and only mirror shot. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Because it's not like 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 the first two seasons where it's obviously it's a double sided set and there's a pane of glass separating them. Yeah. Like it is just one small mirror hanging on a post. And he looks in the mirror, and it's magic. And it's clearly magic and Scott Bakula in the same shot. I don't know how they did it short of some kind of special effect. Right, right. Hmm. Like if they like rotoscoped it in or something, yeah. which, which uh, might have been obsolete by 1990. I don't even know. But Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I went back and I watched it like three times last night, like trying to figure out like how they would have practically... It practically must, carried it out on set. It must have been pretty seamless because I can't, I can't really remember it. Like it doesn't stand out as right. something that um, you know looked jarring or was jarring in any way. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, it'd be good to get an answer to that. Right? How they did it? Well, we'll just have to reach out and 
see if anybody answers us. Yeah, <laughs> we'll throw that out there. Uh, but anyway, so so in this scene, we get the fact like like Sam is not there to save his brother; he is there to make sure that the mission succeeds. Yes, the next day, and they and all he has is the name of the mission, Operation Lazarus. Because unfortunately, it's the details are classified top secret. Sam's like, but you have top secret clearance. And I was like, yeah, but the computer is buried in the Pentagon and Zagi. Techno babble, techno babble, right, techno babble. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and and he compares it to uh, imagine two members of the UN trying to talk to one another without a translator. Yeah. Right. Um, but like you say, yeah, it's basically just techno babble. Yeah. Um, but to add a conflict in there. <laughs> right, right. Which it's really wonderful too because it creates a mystery around what the mission was for and what it was about. True. Which I, I I love the tension that it kind of builds, and then when we do discover, mm-hmm. I. I think for, you know, for a lot of us, if it's your first time watching this episode, clearly it's not ours, but it, it, it's one of those things that you know it's coming, but when you kind of take yourself back and think of, take yourself out of that and know that it's not coming, the build to like, okay, there's this weird mission that they're doing. Oh, this is what the mission's about. Oh, this, she sees these guys. Oh, holy shit. You yeah. know, it's like, mm-hmm. so there's, I, I think it's kind of a neat way that it's built in, which mm-hmm. is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then after this, you know, Sam's now dressed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Deke and Maggie come in, uh, and Tom come in, mm-hmm. and, and basically, like, they're they're trying to talk Tom into taking Maggie onto this mission the next like, day, nope. and he is not about it at all. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in the episode, where she says, don't worry, I can, this is where she lists off her credentials. Yeah. And she says, I can handle it. It's like, I'm sure you can. We can't. We're so in tune with each other that when magic gets gas, I break wind. Yeah, <laughs> and she's just like, "Thanks for that, Lieutenant." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nicely put. Right. Yeah, I mean, kudos for him for saying breaks gas. Right, right. Yeah, or, or, or breaks wind. Breaks yeah. wind and not. Uh, yeah. yeah, Trump. Yeah, and not Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Fart. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a great scene for uh, for Tom because uh, you know. Tom clearly plays a big part in the last episode, but we get very much, uh, you know, the big brother Tom. Yeah. Now we're getting a very different Tom. Yeah. You know, this is this is the Navy SEAL. This is the the Navy lieutenant. This is the guy who is, you know, not um, the Indiana farm boy. Sure. This is a soldier, and and he's seen some stuff, and he's calling his own shots. And it's interesting to think that the stuff that he's seen has basically only been five months. Yeah. Like, I, I, I say that, yeah. I, well, I don't mean the, to say only five for, months, but, I, but the, five months. Yeah, but you know? I, I think there's some dialogue, they, they don't make it absolutely clear, but it, it sounds like Tom had already been over to Vietnam, he came home for Thanksgiving, right. and he shipped back out. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, I missed that then. I, I, I missed that because the, years. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because cause there's a one line later on in the bar where Sam has the voiceover where he talks about... Uh, uh, Tom never told mom like what the Navy SEALs did on their right. downtime yep. because she mom would have had a cow. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That is, yes, that is absolutely true. Which, yeah. because that, so that basically jumps us into the next scene. Yeah. We get introduced to the Chuhoy at the end of the scene. Oh, that's right. Which is... Tia Carrere. Yes. Um, who uh, has, has also done lots of stuff, most famously probably Wayne's World. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um... 
Yeah, and so the Chuhoi is is uh, again I mentioned this earlier, but basically it was a Viet Cong um, local who mm-hmm. would help them, you know, gather intelligence and that sort of stuff. Um, Al makes the comment about how he never trusted them. And, For sure. Unless know. she's cute. Yeah, right, unless she's cute. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. And so you get, you get a cute moment at the end of the scene where where Sam... This is what, like one of the rare moments in the episode where we get like Sam being bumbling, confused Sam that we see in a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. Where, where he keeps <laughs> repeating everything that Deke and Tom say. And, yeah. 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 And Tom throws him a rope like... Are your ears still ringing? Am I a fight? Yeah. Doc, check him out. And yeah. Al has to keep reminding him to say, aye, aye, sir. Yeah. yeah. He just keeps saying, okay, Tom. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is cute. He, he's very out, out of his element. It's an interesting contrast and this isn't a critique, but it, but I will have, do have to point this out. It's an interesting contrast that early on he's having trouble cleaning his gun. He's so afraid that he dives into the water. He, you know, forgets to say, aye, sir. He's, he's basically just not a soldier Magic heaven right at there. all. Yeah. And then, really, in the second half of this episode, Sam's kind of like action hero soldier now. Yeah, you know, he's, he's very confident. He does. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, so from here we go to uh, we go to the bar. And this is where we get the voiceover from Sam about like what what Navy SEALs doing their downtime. Uh, Bravo Squad is the name of this squad, by the way. I don't think we mentioned that yet. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, we get introduced to the the bartender uh, who's played by Rodney. Kagiyama? Okay. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Do you recognize him from another Quantum Leap episode? No. He is also, uh, I'm not sure what, if he, if he would have been called a bartender, what what his character would have been called, but he was... Uh, oh, no shit. The, 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 the geisha wrangler, or whatever you want to call him, in Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald. Joda. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. He was, yes. Uh, he was also in Gung Ho. He was in Pretty Woman. And he was also the janitor in Teen Wolf. Oh, there we go. We really have this like full <laughs> circle. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, but yeah, he. I mean, but he doesn't. Uh, it doesn't look like he's anything recently on IMDb. He doesn't even have a photo. Up yeah, twenty fifteen. It looks like was the yeah, last thing so, we um, there. But the important thing in this. Uh, so we. Uh, this is where we get you know some of Maggie being sexualized. There we find out that magic is supposedly double jointed. Yeah, and and that makes him a hit with the ladies. Where the hell is he double joy? Uh, anyway. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. Well, well, he is magic. Would, 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 would Sam, as magic, be able to um, be double joy? Like, uh, that's what I always yeah. think. Like, would he be able to sort of show it off, as it were? Right. Um, Luckily, he doesn't have to. No, he doesn't. But yeah. that is a very good point. Yeah. He, I, I thought that, too, actually, was when I was watching the yeah. episode. I was like, would he be able to pull that off? Mm. No pun intended. Uh, I want to mention real quick, because we missed it earlier in the mirror, because you brought this up actually before, but the actor who plays uh, the mirror image of magic is Christopher Kirby, and kind of the interesting thing here, we we talk a lot about the mirror image actors as not necessarily having lengthy careers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, usually it's just a couple of things. Sometimes it's literally the only thing that they've ever done, like on IMDb, but Christopher Kirby is is, uh, an exception to that. He actually has done quite a bit of work over the past 28 years, still working to this day. Um, and Quantum Leap was the very first thing that he ever did. So it's kind of awesome. neat. It's like, this was his start. Like, mm-hmm. his start was playing the mirror image. And now since then, like, he's had a lot of recurring roles on different television programs. 
Um, you know, he was actually in uh, uh, the Matrix Reloaded. Um, you, you know, he was in uh, the video game Enter the Matrix as well. I don't know why I'm focusing on the Matrix here, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff uh, and uh, is currently. Um, uh, it seems like a lot of genre sort of films or whatever uh, that he's got either in pre-production or filming awesome. right now. So yeah, it's yeah. good for him. Um, but yeah, the, the the scene in the bar in general is another one of those scenes that feels very much sort of archetypal, like the Vietnam, like Full Metal Jacket kind of. You know, they're sure. all gonna go pick up prostitutes now or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is where Al pops up. He was able to get Ziggy to interface. Like he 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 he. Bypass one thing, he went to the other thing. Blah, 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 blah. Technical babble. He right. has information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so sappers are coming in over the river. They're going to attack. They're going to shoot down Deke's helicopter as it's taking off. And Deke is going to get killed. Yeah. The catch is, this is maybe why he's here. And if he stops the attack from happening, he may leap out and won't be around to save time. Yeah. And the amount of time that he spends on making the decision is extremely admirable and I think shows a little bit of growth from the Sam that we had in Leap Home Park. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, and even Al is, is like commends him yeah. about it, you know, and it's it, because he, he does, he makes the decision, he's like, I gotta, I gotta warn them, we gotta do something about this. Yeah. Um, but then the attack never comes. Yeah, so yeah. they, yeah, uh, they get set up, Maggie wants to shoot it, they uh, put her away, um, she gets out, Tom spots her, throws her back in one of the tents with the Chuhoi, gives the Chuhoi a gun, says if she tries to leave again, shoot her. Maggie he almost yeah. immediately tries to leave, right. and sure enough, she points she points the gun. Yeah. Um, and and then yeah, the the sappers never come. The only thing out there is magic's imagination. Yeah. Now we should also mention that uh, we've we've kind of glossed over this, but one of the a one of the reasons he's called magic, and obviously indicative from the very first scene, the way that they all trust him and going on, is that he's their lucky charm. Yeah. That that they they listen to him. You know, if he yeah. if he says something, they believe him. And the main reason for that is that when he was first coming to join the unit, he yeah. steps off his yeah. helicopter. The helicopter is blown to bits. Everybody around the helicopter in the helicopter dies except for magic. He walks out no scratch on him. Like, and, and yeah. ever since that, there's just like, he's our lucky, you know, he's our talisman. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I think that it's, it, 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 it's a blow to their morale in a way that he's wrong about this. Sure. Um, yeah. and, and there's even an argument at one point between the Colonel and Tom about the fact that, uh, why should they trust magic and, you know, and all this sort of, which is when Tom tells them the story and they have this funny moment too, about how like as Academy guys have to stay, you know, stick together. Sure. Yeah. He went to the Colonel went to West Point and Tom went to Annapolis. Yeah. Uh, which is a very subtle, like, I don't know that that's ever really just stated straight out and out that hmm. Tom is a graduate of Annapolis. Um, this is the only kind of like, yeah. Huh. So, yeah. so the, the, the thing about this is, is that Sam changes history in a major way. Yep. He stops a sapper attack from happening, and we're going to get to how he actually stops it here. Deke isn't killed, but in the original history, that's what happened. Right. And they still went on the mission the next day. So here's something that I have to say to that, and, 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 and it's not 100% accurate, but Sam's not really the one that changes history here, if you think about it. Like, yes, in a way, his actions precipitate what happens, but if you want to call the, out the person who directly changes it, 
Spoiler alert, it's the Chu Hoi. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's the one that radios to call off the attack. Yeah, but but you gotta figure in the in the original history, they don't know it was coming. Attack happens. This time, magic alerts everyone, she's able to get to the tent, change the radio frequency, let them know, and then they call off. It's it's like an evil leaper let We'll do the opposite of what the you know, uh, and, and I guess that the argument there is is that that's not what he was there to do, right? So there's right. got to be something else. Yeah, but it's, it's just interesting to note that even though in the original history there was this attack that that killed Deke, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that killed one of the people vital to the mission because it's their helicopter that they're using. Somehow in the original history they went through that attack and still carried out the mission the next day. Yes, yeah. right, right. That's yeah, yes. Yeah. I don't so, know. so I mean, it's it's interesting how the rules of time travel work in this episode. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's because, like you you noted uh, a couple episodes ago, Don Belisario didn't actually write many of the episodes, right? But this one he did, and so like many of the ones that he does write, he always he puts some interesting twist on the whole how time travel works. Yeah, for a guy who said on multiple occasions he wasn't writing a time travel show, he does seem to be the one who plays with time travel the most yeah. out yeah, of like, the like, writers. Like, he plays with, like, like, like what we're going to do in a second, like, how they can actually, like, manipulate and take advantage of, like, oh, well, if you do this, then this happens in the future, and then yeah. we can... Yeah. yeah. It's a time travel show. I mean, <laughs> I think he's lying to himself a little bit. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> I can see the point, perhaps, that he's making. Um, right. Um, so to say, we, we get to the bunker, we have a moment where where Sam has to, to call in. To radio in, yeah. To radio in and let them know that the sapper attack didn't, didn't happen, that they were securing down. That's when they notice that the radio frequency is off. We're going to get back to that yeah. later on. Uh, and this is where Maggie... Because she's changing her clothes. She changed her. She so. changed her clothes in the back. Al has a strong reaction. Oh shoot! Right, right. I missed you. She, she put her jammies on, uh, which yeah. is such a how, like. I, I just have to say this real quick. As as lascivious as he is acting at all, the fact that what he chooses to say is she put her jammies on. Right, it's right. Yeah. A, like, it's yeah. just something about this so boyish, where it's just kind yeah. of yeah. yeah. Okay, Al. yeah. <laughs> that line did get a laugh out of Betsy. Yeah, watching this episode. Yeah, and then at this and point. Then, Maggie comes to Sam and and lays it on pretty thick about how bad she wants to be, yeah. you know, on this mission. How she needs to be on the mission. How she's, you know, basically, is, yeah. yeah. If you what tell, you yeah, tell Tom you have that magic feeling about me, and you know, yeah. it, it, uh, like what exchange for your, you know, what Sam says, what your soul, and she's like, not just my soul, and makes it very clear what. Yeah. And Al, Al in the background is just sort of like, good luck, lady. Like, like you got the wrong, you got the wrong man, man yeah. for this, and then Sam's just like. Okay, and he goes Deal. for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's and it, it's interesting because it does make you wonder. It's like why? Because Sam didn't have to do that, right? Sam have. could just say, "You know what? No, I think you're right. You don't have to have sex with me. Yeah, I'll just go talk to Tom." So much for being the moral center. Um, he, he, I guess you could argue. Does he actually have sex with her? Oh God, yes. All right. Well, then in that case, he has sex with the other woman in Right Hand of God. All right, I'll trade that. Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) We're making deals here on Face Wide Wheel. Okay. Uh, But but it's, uh, you know, because we've talked... I think he does, too. Yeah, yeah. we've talked uh, a lot about episodes like like the the moral implications of Sam having sex with women when he's not himself. He can't fully disclose who he is, so the woman can't really give 
informed consent. Right. But like this is one of those cases where oh god, the only just, time she has known this person is the time that Sam has been there. Yeah. So it's different if Sam leaps into somebody and like this is his girlfriend or his wife or or someone who's known him for a while and they're leading to having a relationship or something like that. Like yeah. that is gets a little weird. Right. But when you put it into the context of like the only time that these two people ever cross paths is set in this finite amount of time that Sam is there, yeah. it does kind of change the rules a little bit in a weird wibbly wobbly Tommy Whiny sort of way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, I think, and, and it's not and it's also not there's not an emotional thing. She's very willingly doing it. And like, she has very much made this like, this is a, this is a business transaction. Basically. Mm. I am going to have sex with you. You are going to get me on the mission. You're going to get me on the chopper. Yeah. In more ways than one. Yeah. But this is, uh, there was, I don't know if you were keeping up on this on, uh, on our Facebook page. There was some interesting discussion, uh, going on with some people like talking about, uh, you know, this moment in this episode talking about what does this do? Uh, we're going to jump way ahead into spoilers for future episodes. So if you're like watching along with this bow out for a few minutes, uh, what does this do to Donna's morale in the future? Because, you know, cause, cause she talks about like in a future episode, she talks about how it's okay for Sam to be romantically involved with people because it's doing what needs to be done. Right. But this is a case where, well, I mean, you could argue that, no, you could argue that he's doing what needs to be done right. for the sake of the leap. Yeah. But there was some interesting discussion going on. Like, was was there a point where Donna decides to leave Sam in the future because she just gets tired of him gallivanting around? Well, I think that, that is absolutely possible. I, I think the parallel there, and, and we're into fan wank territory. <laughs> Hello, fan wank. Uh, but but the parallel between the fact that you know Al is MIA and Beth ends up leaving him. Yeah. And you know Sam is basically you know I mean he's not MIA because they are tracking him, but at the same time he's not coming home. Sure. Is there a point where Donna starts to feel like? I've, you know, I've waited long enough. It's yeah. not happening. I need to move on with my life. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that is an interesting discussion worth having for sure. Um, the Donna we're presented with in the leap back doesn't seem, well, the way she's written, it doesn't seem like that's what she would do. do. But it, it, it's been almost 20 years since I've read it, but I feel like the last novel, Mirror Image, uh, they do play with the idea that she's getting ready to move yeah. on. I, mean, I guess you have to at some point, right? Yeah. It's just—it's such a sticky wicket, and I think it's—I think it's kind of a bit of a mistake in a lot of ways because I—I I, I, there's this part of me that she's like a counterpart to Beth. Yeah, well, and the like other, like future future Beth that, and and it, I guess I guess it reinforces the fact that Sam from the time that Sam leaps. Everything that happened to Sam prior to that happened to Sam. So in other words, that Sam still knows that his brother died. That Sam knows that that he never married Donna. Yeah. That Sam. So the Sam who's leaping around through time, like he doesn't know any of this stuff. And not because of his Swiss cheese mind, but because when Sam left, when he walked into the accelerator... Donna was not there. Mm-hmm. It's only as a result of him leaping through time that Donna was there. Yeah. So it gets into all sorts of weird time travel kind of stuff about how like when he gets back, she's there and does he remember the relationship with her entirely now? Or does, you know, or does he still think of it as being like the woman that he fell in love with 
and then she just left him at the altar. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I don't know. It, yeah. It'll make your brain yeah. hurt. Yeah. It will. But anyway, but for now, Sam is having sex with Maggie, Maggie Dawson. <laughs> and then we cut to afterwards where Al has been waiting outside. I would love to have gotten a shot of Al is just, Al is just standing outside. <laughs> I'm holding my iPhone here with, with the hand link. Yeah. Just being like, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but half of the hologram comes through the wall. And just, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he comes out, Sam, I'm the one who thinks with his glands, not you. Yeah. 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 And this is like, so Sam's whole purpose of doing this was Maggie goes on the mission. She'll write a story. Ziggy can pull the story. They can see what happened on the mission. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, yeah, it's very much about you know, figuring out way he, I don't want to say it's, it's mercenary of him because again, like it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier. Clearly she knows what she wants. And yeah. she, this is something that she wants. So it is kind of like an even trade. Yeah. Like he is getting something out of it more than just the sex, which is yeah. an interesting angle when you look at it because it's not something Sam would normally do. Right. Yeah. So it's Sam but, but, in a way deciding yeah. like, like, okay, I'm going to do this because it helps to me to get what I want too. So it's like, it's not just this idea it's of like this man just being like, I'm doing this. So I'm going to get laid. Like, right, right. No, no. There's I mean, more to is, it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, like he he is pre- he you know he is presented with a with a willing woman who, you know, it's been a while. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You are talking about two people that have it's it's well established. They have very clear goals. He wants to save Tom. She wants a Pulitzer. Like they will do whatever. And we we learn this about Sam. He'll do whatever it takes to get there. And you know, I think it's. It's a passable thing, especially, as you say, given that he has a known history of not being that way inclined, yeah. necessarily, I think. It's definitely not Catch a Falling Star. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to the scene with Tom. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's... Again, I just can't. I can't get over the fact that the Tom that we get in this episode is so different than the sure. Tom that we get in, in Leap Home Part One, and yet it's it's the same character. Oh yeah, you know it's. It, it, but there's just like this growth and this difference to him, and I, I love it. And I think that David Newsom does a great job. Yeah, and I think I wonder, you know, because when you mentioned brought that up earlier, it's like I think one of the reasons, like, why the Leap Home and Part Two, like, aside from like the the subject matter, like, why they hold up so much is that the characters, especially. Tom and what David Newsom does, like it feels like a very lived in character. Mm-hmm. Like you can imagine Tom being spun off yeah. into his own show. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if like if this character popped up on Tour of Duty, which was like that uh, sure. you know, ninety show that was set in Vietnam or whatever, like I'd be like, Alright, cool. It's good. Yeah. I mean <laughs> in a more magnified way, it sort of reminds me of how I was uh, when I lived with my parents. And how I was when I went to university. There's a clear difference, ah. right, between <laughs> yes. the two, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> my mother, who I, I may be listening to this, um, would have had a cow, I think, had she known. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, so the upshot of this scene is, is that uh, Sam manages to talk Tom into letting Maggie mm-hmm. come on to the helicopter uh, during during the mission, but they also have this thing where, where, where Tom says, you know, you remind me of my little brother, and, yeah. and, he, and he recounts the events of, of the last episode of, like, trying to talk him into crawling into a, into a hole on April the 8th, and Sam tries to talk him into 
keeping that promise and and yeah, and yeah. John's response yeah. about like any any hole more than three feet deep here is filled with water. water. Yeah. yeah, but now how do we feel about that? Because we we've seen Tom to uh, be someone who, who kind of is all right-ish, going back on his word to his own brother. But also imagine going go to deep with this thing. <laughs> right. Look, but, but I, I know <laughs> I know this mission is important. <laughs> yeah. We're going to save a couple right, right. POWs. Yeah. I made a promise to my brother. Can I go? You guys got this? Are we good? Yeah. I wanna... yeah. You know, it does say a lot about Tom. And, and, and I don't necessarily know that it says anything negative because there is this, the way that he talks about it mm-hmm. to who he thinks is magic, Sam. Uh, and, and, you know, basically is like, I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, right. like not that he believes it, but there's a part of him that is kind of this might happen. There's definitely a part of him that thinks that. And we'll, we'll oh. maybe get to it, but yes. Yeah. And, I, I, and I think the sense of duty that he feels, yeah. like he, like there's this, there's this element, and he kind of says this in, in part one as well, mm-hmm. about for him, the dying part of it is not what matters nearly as much as what you're dying for. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the Tom here is probably the a Tom that would be like, yeah, this war's kind of bullshit, and I don't really know what the hell we're here for either. Mm-hmm. But I do know I'm here for all of these guys. Right. And I couldn't help but be reminded a couple of times during this episode of this documentary called Restrepo, which I watched a lot. I was I was um, working on a show that was based on the Red Badge of Courage, but it had been updated and set in Afghanistan. And, and so Restrepo is a documentary about um, uh, soldiers that are in Afghanistan, and it's very much frontline you know, sort of documentary and, you know, you see soldiers die, you hear soldiers talking right after they fired off these big machine guns, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's an, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. And the photographer, um, who worked on the documentary, um, who won awards as well, ended up actually getting killed. Um, not during this documentary is actually about a year or so after the documentary was released, but I just remember that had a big impact on me. And so I was watching it for research. Um, and it was to the point where I just keep it on all the time, like basically just watch it constantly for two or three days. Uh, it had profound effects to the point where I was having dreams about being like in combat situations. And, um, there's an element of the documentary where when these guys are talking, the world that they are now existing in is so separate from the world that they came from that they can't imagine going back to it. And so what they have, all they have is what's right in front of them. And that is basically these men that they're with, that these are the most important people in their Mm -hmm. lives. And it's kind of, you know, it almost makes you think about um, the Hurt Locker, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, and Jeremy Renner's character. It's like to him, his own wife and child are no longer the most important people in his life. The most Mm -hmm. important people in his life are these people that he's serving with and the conflict. And so I think for Tom, it's, yeah, there's that element of like going back on his word to his little brother. But there's this also this idea of like, he has to do this thing for these guys. Um but also knowing that he's doing it in the face of potentially feeling like he might die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's kind of incredible. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says a lot about the person he is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he does, you know, he, yeah. he Sam convinces him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here we go uh, on the mission the next day. And yeah. we get a voiceover from Sam saying that he, he had thought that once it got in the air, I would show up with the story. He would find out what's going on. Uh, this is also where we get a drop to that. Their mission is to save two, maybe three, POWs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're all 
over the moon about this. Yeah. And, and you know, and, um, you know, including Maggie, it's worth noting, you know, this is important to her as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get the, the, the provision dropped in here that Maggie can cover the mission however she wants, but she cannot leave, leave the chopper. Yep. Get to the chopper. I'm sorry. No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's quite a restriction, isn't it? To, to, to stay in right. the helicopter. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it's yeah. still, you know, I mean, it's still got to be kind of groundbreaking, I guess, if that's the right word, uh, yeah. to, to put her on that chopper and, to, mm-hmm. and for her to even be able to shoot it from there, much less, right. you know, on the ground. But, but yeah, it, you're right. It is pretty restrictive. It's like, what is she really going to get? Because yeah. clearly they're dropping them like a few clicks away from where they really need to be. So basically, once they leave the chopper, it's just scenery. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Unless yeah. Predator does turn them, then you get out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they. Uh, oh, well, I, real quick, just wanted to mention that um, the guy who plays Doc, one of the soldiers, uh, uh, Rich Whiteside, who we see quite a bit in sure. yeah. this uh, in coming up, uh, is also actually in A Leap for Lisa. He plays mm-hmm. a Marine guard in that episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting because we were talking about how that yeah. episode, in a way, feels kind of connected to these sure. episodes, mm-hmm. yeah, strangely yeah. enough. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so they, uh, they start off the mission. They, they get dropped off. They overtake some, some Viet Cong. Uh, it's kind of like glossed over, but they just kill them. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It is a big one. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was just because I'm watching it, I'm taking notes. I'm like, take over. Then we get to the moment here where where Sam looks down at the at the radio and he sees it's set to the same frequency that the bunker radio on the bunker was set into, and I was kind of like, oh, shit, they killed those people. Yeah. Like like they just yeah just yeah, kind of no thought about it. Uh, Sam is in total soldier mode here. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so Sam sees that, and then then we get this moment of of Sam's hiding out. Al shows up, nice shot of Sam or Al standing on the water, and Al says that the POWs are are just you know right yeah. over yonder, right over here. Basically, yeah. there's only two guards. You and Doc can you and Doc can free him, um, and but also like they talk about the radio, and they realize that. The radio was set to a different frequency because of the Chuhoi. Yeah. The Chuhoi is leading them into an ambush. So it's POWs or backtrack and save. Yeah, save the guys. And, and, and save, Tom. And, yeah, and save the guys and, fault, yeah. and, and, and save Tom. Meanwhile, this is intercut with Maggie talking her way up the chopper to go use the bathroom. Yeah. And then she's charging through the jungle, narrowly avoids a tripwire. Yeah. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> she yeah. didn't see it, though. So no, I don't think. She didn't no, no, see no, it. No, no, right? yeah. She doesn't see it. She just yeah. gets lucky. Yeah. yeah. And then we get the one where we mentioned earlier, like, she acknowledges that this is really stupid, but this is how you want to peel it, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then seeing her taking the pictures, because she yeah. basically buries herself, like, in a ditch, mm-hmm. and as... You know, as the soldiers are walking the POWs by or marching them by, she's snapping pictures the whole time. They, you know, she snaps that last picture, which we don't entirely see yet. Yeah. Um, and when she comes up out of the hole, like she's wiping away tears, she's, I mean, she's completely moved by this. Yeah. And, and I think it kind of reinforces that thing we were talking about earlier how this is important to her beyond. You know, I think for her, winning the Pulitzer doesn't necessarily have to do with winning the Pulitzer. It has to do with the fact that if you win that award, you've done something worth. Doing, sure, mm-hmm. yeah. like something with meaning. It's a shorthand yeah. to say, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. great because I think that sometimes people get like caught up in the fact, like, 
God rest her soul, just recently passed Margot Kidder. Yeah. Uh, in the Superman movies, you know, Lois Lane, in yeah. those movies where she plays Lois Lane, she's always talking about winning the Pulitzer Prize. Right. For her, it does seem just kind of like a trophy. Like, sure. it's not necessarily about, and maybe I'm, un, you know, underplaying that or whatever, mm-hmm. misreading it, but it seems more like it's about the trophy. Here with Maggie, it does. It seems like it's about something more than that, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and this is. I can't remember how exactly like what kicks off the action, but all of a sudden we go from zero to sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and yeah, and all hell's breaking loose. Uh, you know, Tom's in the weeds, like literally, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got the chuhoy with him. Um, there's this moment where you know he doesn't know exactly what's happening. He just turns around. And she's standing with a gun and over she, him. Yeah, and he yells, "Get down!" She points the gun. Like there's a moment of realization where Tom realizes it's about to happen, and then hero Sam shows up. Yeah. No, no hesitation. Not this time. No, yeah. no. And this is what life number four that he's taken. Because yeah. uh, uh, he, well, how many of them were the Ro- Roger, Nikki, Boner and Pusher? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Boner so, and Pusher. Number five. Uh, well, and, and, and like, what what hand did he have in? And like the the Viet Cong that we saw earlier. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, probably more than five. Yeah. So point. so his his kill count has jumped dramatically. Yeah. In his last couple episodes, he he seems to be a little shaken by the whole thing too, though. Like he's like the look on his face after it's all over. Like he's very much clearly adrenaline rush, kind of like, I mean, just mows her down. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be, and I don't know if it's because he just saved Tom, if it's you know what it all is. But there does seem to be a lot going on in him at that particular moment. Yeah, it um, could be the realization that this this was the moment mm-hmm. because there was. I mean, am I remembering this right? The the circumstances around how. Tom died. Seems are never clear. They're never yeah. clear. Yeah, how they're buried under this Pentagon ruling and all of that. Absolutely. So he may, he may not have completely known that this was it. Yeah, uh, but he may have just like saw her standing over someone with a gun. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and it was only like yeah, like like after the fact, like he fully realized what he'd done. Yeah. Like realizing how it's shot, like it. They could have gone a lot more dramatic with this moment. They could have done a lot more build with with music and the way they shot it. Yeah. But like, for this being the moment where he saves its brother, it's almost anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is. You know, I my memory always tells me, and it, incorrectly, that he does that sort of TV slash film cliche where you hear bullets and you think it came out of that gun, uh, but it's actually her being shot, and then she falls forward and you see Sam behind her. I want, uh, my memory tells me <laughs> that. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, you, yeah, I mean, it is kind of, it is somewhat anticlimactic in that way. But I don't know if that's necessarily something that I don't know if that's a bad thing though. Yeah, like, right, like, they could have like they could have really laid it on thick, right? But instead, they just did it in a very yeah, you know. And there is that element too, where it's like we got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Everything's yeah. cool right now, but clearly, like we got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they, unfortunately that's one of those things too, where they knew that they missed, they missed their window. They know that they're not going to save these POWs. Yeah. And that's because they were let off track on purpose, you know, yeah. that you hoy and everything. But there is that element too, where it's like, they, they failed their mission, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, but they're all alive. Yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, I do want to talk about this now. I, f- I thought I might save it for a little bit later, but I'll go talk about it now. There is violence that takes place within this episode that is that is clearly you know very violent. I mean, like yeah. the gunfire at the very beginning sure. that we get the 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 um, people that they kill on the on the boat um, in the water. The, then, of course, you know the, the people that they have just killed. 
but it's shot in such a way that kind of feels a little bit like television violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get this. I mean, this is not that. Like, there's, like, bloody holes mm-hmm. in this woman, and they're visible. This isn't yeah. just like, this, this is like, this is like Rambo violence. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and there's blood in the water, and it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very sort of visceral kind of violence compared to the others. Um, and I feel like that gets amped up even more, um, with what's coming. And, and I think it's, they're interesting choices and they're clearly, they're clearly choices. Sure. Like it wasn't just like, oh, we'll do it for this. Right. You know what I mean? Like these are clearly meant to be impactful, um, and are interesting contrasts. And it's also interesting too, because the two most violent deaths are women. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, yeah. they're trying to get back to the Even chopper. Clearer. Yeah. They're, you know, everybody's glad to be alive. All of a sudden you hear, you know, hey, wait for me. Maggie's running up behind them. Uh, Al has been helping them escape, by the way, yeah, pointing out the booby traps yeah. and everything. So, yeah. And they've just avoided one. They see her running. Turn Maggie, no. She trips the tripwire. Explosion. Yeah. She's lying there. You know, again, and it's it, it, it. While it's not necessarily as violent per se as the shooting, because again, it, we're seeing like bullets tear into them. But uh, in this case, it's it's the after yeah. that we see. Yeah. Um, you know, because again, it's, it's fairly graphic. You know, she's very bloody. Um, she's handing off. The, she's trying to hand off the camera. Yeah. She looks up. She clearly sees Al. Yeah. Um, and then says the word Pulitzer while seeing Al and then, and then dies. Yeah. Um, and then the scene cuts the next with like fading out with Al saying she could see me. Yeah. And then it cuts to, to Sam holding her on the, on the chopper. Had there been a precedent before for somebody dying seeing Al? I have a close one. Okay. I've been waiting to talk about this one. So the only other time is Color of Truth, mm-hmm. Driving Miss Daisy. He's in the car with Ms. Melanie, Miss yeah. Daisy, yeah. and he's like trying to just will himself to like break through and stop her from driving into the train because Sam yes. has been detained. And at the last minute, she hears him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if people on the verge of death oh, wow. can see and hear Al, and in her case... She was just on the verge of death. Interesting. Yeah. So Al was able to break through and she was able to hear his voice. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, and I don't want to get, you know, too heavy into this, but it is also worth noting that with the sort of the the quantum leap spirituality, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the God, time, fate, whoever uh, aspect of the show, that as she's dying... You know, and, and Al and Sam have been compared to angels before, and, you know, we've seen, sure. you know, this this happened before, that as she's dying, that she, she does see him, that there is sort of the spiritual kind of undercurrent there that, you know, as, as her spirit leaves her body, if you will, um, that, that at, at that moment she's aware of everything around her, um, even though Al would, of course, make the argument that he's not really there, and it's like, well, no, you are, actually, because you're tied to Sam, like, you're anchored to him in a way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. I, you know, it's funny when you when you said the thing about precedent. I actually thought you were going to talk about like a 
real life precedent for like Maggie and, and a reporter like that dying in combat, especially like a female reporter dying in combat. And it, it, there is uh, Dickie Chappelle was actually a very famous uh, war correspondent who worked um, in World War II through the Vietnam War, and uh, she was actually killed in a very similar manner mm. to Maggie uh, in 1965. So prior to when Maggie would have been killed, mm. um, but basically she, um, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they, the lieutenant yeah. in front of her kicked a tripwire booby trap, uh, and uh, she was hit in the neck by a piece of shrapnel, and um, and she died. Um, she was the first female war correspondent to be killed in Vietnam, as well as the first American female reporter to be killed in action. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, it, it, there was, uh, apparently she was, um, she's still honored to this day. The, the Marine Corps presents an award uh, annually to, to recognize women who contributed the most to morale, welfare, and the well-being of the men and women in the U.S. Marine Corps. Um, there's also a, a memorial that was put near the site of her death with a plaque and the message that she was one of us and we will miss her. So, and clearly she was pretty well-loved and respected by the soldiers and everything, but she was, you know, on the ground and, and she did die. So, I, I mean, other aspects of her aside, you know, who knows how much the rest of her is based on, sure. on, on Dickie Chappelle, but I think it's just kind of worth noting that there was someone... Sure. You know, that, that probably served as somewhat of an inspiration. Um, so, yeah, then we're back at the bar. Mm-hmm. Sam is, is drunk. Yeah. Is, I, this is, I think this is the only time in the series we see Sam drunk. Is it? Yeah. I, I wondered mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I, mean, Sam, I mean, Sam has drinks. Sure. Like, you know, for whenever huh. the situation occurs. I, don't think that, I think this is the only time we actually see him see drunk. Him drunk. Interesting. No, that, that could very well be because I can't think of any other times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom is also very drunk. Yeah. I mean, we can yeah. tell they're both drunk. They're having this conversation. Um, there's this point where like, you know, Sam is lamenting the fact that he traded a life for a life and Tom is basically like, weird dude, magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is actually you know, kind of funny given the gravity of the whole situation. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, like they, they failed a mission. They, yeah. they lost Maggie, like, but they're in the bar. They got to burn off steam they, well, some way. So my, my, my best, my best friend is, um, is a police officer. So we talk about uh, a lot of different yeah. things, um, you know, but he, he often will, will call me and just kind of, you know, tell me about his day. Um, and it's very similar. The, 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 the way that you have to kind of just keep moving forward, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I saw a dead body at 10 AM by, you know, by six, I'm at home watching cartoons with my daughter, you know, it's yeah. just like you, 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 you have to kind of, to, to move on that way. And, um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, what else are they going to do? Right. Yeah. You know? Um, and again, it's one of those, it's very similar to uh, going back to that documentary Restrepo. There's a scene where, uh, they spend the day, uh, just under fire the entire day. It sounds yeah. like it's the worst possible day that you could have without being killed. You know, the tension, the stress of that and everything. And then it stops. And what do they do? They have a barbecue. Mm-hmm. No yeah. joke. Like they're having a barbecue, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's like an hour ago they were getting, you know, shelled, but now they're just having a barbecue. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so yeah, they, they are, they're doing that blasters doing the push-ups yeah. with 51. the girl on his back. Yeah. yeah he gets the 51 yeah. and says, this is for you, Maggie. Um, then Deke walks in and he's got an envelope in his hands. Yeah. Um, and they're basically all like, you know, she was a hell of a woman and she's a hell of a photographer too. And they start looking at pictures. Tom is kind of blown away by the pictures. Um, and, and now I, my, my memory is failing me. I don't remember exactly how it comes up, but I know that, but, but it's, uh, uh, 
Too bad she never won the Pulitzer. Or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. Al's like, was like uh, Al says, "What did you say to you that night?" The bunker, and Sam says that she'd sell her soul for a Pulitzer, and someone else says, "Not just her soul." And Al says, "She did." Yeah. And yeah. somebody says, "What?" Like she did win a Pulitzer for her last photograph, and that's when Sam. And then Sam takes the envelope and starts like. Yeah, this is a moment like I, I don't know what the song is that plays over these final moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of songs, I want to jump back. Someday yes. makes a reprisal Someday we'll be in this episode. In this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, Which uh, actually, this time it's not anachronistic either, which is nice. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, that yeah, song. Yeah. yeah. That but, song. Uh, but yeah, the, whatever song plays over the final moments of the scene, it's taken out of the DVD mm-hmm. uh, American version and whatever Muzak they, they play over. Just I kinda, wish it would rain by the Temptations. Okay, yeah. It's totally, yeah. Um, but yeah, so rips the photos, shuffles through them, and the last photo we get a close up. It is it's Al. It is Al. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Al was there, and um, and of course Sam is just beside himself. Yeah, and this is what I was talking about during part will be poem part one discussion, and this is what I was talking about when I in this episode when I mentioned how Al was kind of home. As much as this whole arc has been about Sam, it's equally been about Al. Yeah. And and Stockwell was actually nominated for an Emmy based on this episode. Hmm. Um, and I think that the journey that he takes from being kind of Al mm-hmm. um, in, in the first parts of the episode to being the guy who gets him through the shit, yeah. y- you know, the soldier that is Al, to being the Al that we see in that last moment after having gone from MIA to this, I wish that the writers would have paid a little more attention because I feel like we could have gotten a much more mature and different Al from that point forward. Mm. Because there is a different quality to the man that, that, that sees his friend, realizes that his friend is, is realizing that, you know, his freedom yeah. was basically sacrificed for all of this. You know, Sam saying you could have been free. I was free up here. You know, yeah. it's like what the hell I was going to be repatriated in five years anyway. Yeah, I wonder if that speaks to not just the the writers not paying attention. This is a a great story that we overlooked when we were covering MIA, and it's in Matt Dale's book. But uh, when they were shooting MIA, Dean Stockwell was doing such a great job. They they started talking to him like they wanted to offer him more serious storylines, and mm-hmm. Dean Stockwell said no. Hmm. Like I, 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 I like being big and gregarious. I like having fun as Al. You know, he's a method actor. When he goes to a dark place, like he goes to a dark place, he didn't want those darker storylines. So I wonder if the fact, like, even after the storyline, Al keeps being the Al as we know him for the most part, was was Dean Stockwell's Dean Stockwell's request huh. to just keep being sure. a fun character. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to say that they should. <clears throat> changed him monumentally but sure. I just think that there could have been maybe a little bit of a tonal shift yeah um, in particular with you know maybe how the relationship between him and Sam had, had kind of evolved yeah. over the course of this because it's interesting in a way we see them mostly through season one and season two as equals mm-hmm. and then in MIA it seems like you know Al starts to lose a little bit of that and then in these two episodes, it all of a sudden seems like Al has taken on more of a paternal quality. Mm-hmm. Like they're not—they're not equals. Al is older. Al has seen more and been through more, you know. And I think that potentially making him a little stronger, if you will, might have been a really interesting mm-hmm. 
you know shift in, in character, especially considering how he yeah. ends up in this in the end of the scene. I mean, it's incredible the moment when you, when you know when when you look down and you see the picture and yeah. I will say because uh, when we're talking about MIA, my wife Betsy, she knew from the beginning. Yeah, like from right. from, from the minute that that Al's mood shifts, like she knew that the, the POW was Al. The end of this episode took her totally by surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think it's fair to say that Tar was the same way when I introduced him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is interesting to note that there is a goof between MIA in this episode when Al gets repatriated. In MIA, he says he gets repatriated in 72. Here, he says, what the hell, I get repatriated in five years. Which, on the surface, you say, from 75 years, 1975. And that's the entire basis of the, of the novel Pulitzer. They, they spin that goof and they turn it into a story about why there's the indiscrepancy of whether Al came home in 72 or 75. You know, I have to go back and read the book. Uh, I, I do too. Yeah, but, I, I just remember. But, I just remember them taking that goof and, yeah. and turning it into a. Into but I a have thing. to wonder too: is it a goof? And the reason why mm-hmm. I say that is, is so many things get changed in the timeline in this episode. Sure. And 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 so you know, common practice is that they would move the POWs frequently because they never wanted anybody to be able to find them or catch them. Plus sure. They didn't want the POWs themselves to know where they were, so in case they did escape, they couldn't leave anyone back. So it's common practice to move them around. In the process of moving them around. They hear all this gunfire going off. They realize that the soldiers didn't get killed, that their own people got killed. So who's to say that Al wasn't moved again so that there was no way that he could have been repatriated in 72? He was put someplace else, so that kept him there longer. So in other words, Sam's intervention not only kept Al from being saved in 1970, but yeah. also kept him from being saved in 72 and literally kept him as a yeah. POW until 1975. Got it. That's a possible... Yes. Yeah. I think... Oh, God. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. The other thought is the arc of MIA to this episode... Al has to go through the hell that is MIA with, you know, knowing that Beth is there and trying to save his marriage to Sam not willing to do it to leap home part one where Sam is stuck on having to save his family. This is different. This is, you know, I'm going to do this. Al still finding the compassion to be like you. This is damn fair. You do have a special opportunity here and don't waste it to now being in the situation to where he saves Tom he gets to save his brother. Al has to stay as a POW. Maggie loses her life. He still doesn't get to come back to Beth. And in spite of all, he completely forgives his friend for all of it. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Like, at yeah. the end of this episode, what is Al doing? He's letting Sam know it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I was free up here. I was mm-hmm. always free. He, he delivers it with such conviction, but it's like, no, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I see it more like he's making his best friend feel better mm-hmm. than it than it being true. Sure. Yeah. Ah. Uh, well. Yeah. And, but, yeah. And now, and now, after all of that. Yeah. So we get then, to, so so before so before I want to jump back to jump back to Pulitzer. I do uh, the, the novel. It's like they do like for some reason in the book like he does come home in 72 but he basically he's like in custody for three years mm. or there's some kind of story where yeah he doesn't come out mm. to jump back before we move on uh, in the scene where they're actually running the POWs 
through the jungle and Maggie is taking photographs of him, if you listen really, really carefully, you can hear a voice that sounds very much like Dean Stockwell mm. twice say, slow down. Huh. He's in the back. I don't think they make it clear, but they make it more clear in the novel. Like, he's got a thing around his yeah, neck. Yeah, yeah. So, so if he's getting pulled and he's in the back, it would make sense for him to be saying, yeah, slow down. Yeah. I don't know. I could be hearing things, but go back and rewatch it. What? It very clearly sounds like Dean Stockwell saying, slow down. And, and you get a brief glimpse of the photo as she's taking it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he's, see, a, yeah, you kind of see a vaguely Al looking person. Not that that would ever give it away. Right. It's so yeah. But when you know the, the twist, um, is that Dean Stockwell, or is I th- it? Uh, if not, they got a, they got a pretty good body double. Yeah, but because like when they the 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 freeze frame that they get of the of the shutter snapping is actually after he's turned his head away, right. so you only see him from yes. the back. But the other thing is the other thing that's interesting to know that I, I we I don't think we can afford to gloss over is that. Al looks directly into the camera. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's important to note, this isn't just a picture of his face in the distance or something. Al looks directly into the camera. In so. essence, looks directly into Maggie's eyes. Yeah. yeah. So, he knows that somebody's taking a picture of him. Yeah. The flip side of that, of course, is that Maggie sees him, connects with him. That's one of the reasons why she's crying. Then when she sees Al standing above her as she's dying. Yeah. Like, again, they're making eye contact, like, one last time. Yeah. And it's this thing where, like, I don't know, she gets that moment of salvation, too, knowing that the guy that she snapped that picture of that moved her, like, is, is, is alive. And it's almost one of those things where it's like, does she know that? Does she think that this is a vision? Does she think that, like, as she's dying, she's seeing, like, what she hopes would happen? That sure. this man would yeah. live, and that here he is in his beautiful dress white uniform. And mm, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of powerful. And speaking of powerful, we get the whole picture revelation. I was free up there. To Tom all of a sudden shouting, hey, it's April the 9th, I'm still alive, throws his arm around Magic and says, thanks to you, little brother. And Sam is like, just looks at him so taken aback. Tom has this look on his face where he's like, wait a minute, like, what is happening? And then Sam leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and and this is the moment I was speaking about earlier on that Mm -hmm. made me think that Tom didn't entirely dismiss the idea that he might, his brother might be correct because he did see this kind of palpable sense of kind of relief, kind of I'm joking along with the lads type thing that came through in that bit. Yeah. I think it was a moment of relief, especially after the, the day that he just had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like rewatching the episode last night, like, uh, I don't know. I've always loved that ending. I don't know how I feel about that ending, rewatching it. Really? With fresh eyes. I don't know. Why? I don't know. Like, how, how would it have looked if the episode had just ended of, like, him looking down, seeing that it was Al in the picture? Oh, sure. Yeah. Their, very, their very brief exchange. Yeah. And then Sam leaps. So I guess what I would say to that is that, you know, I'm, here I am the one that's making the argument about how this arc is just as much about Al, if it's about anybody. Yeah. But I think maybe for the purposes of looking at it as a singular episode, the point is Tom being saved. Yeah. Yes. So in a way, it does feel like the right button. But I, I would imagine, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I would imagine that like Belisario and Zinberg, who was also nominated for a Director's Guild Award for directing mm-hmm. this episode, by the way, 
probably did have some discussion about that. Like, I don't know that that was an easy choice to make. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wonder if at one point, like, even in the script as he was typing it up, if, if he did do it the other way around. Yeah. Like, if it was, like, Tom being like, 9 a.m., I'm still alive. You're April 9th, I'm still alive. Throwing his arm around him, you know. Thanks to you, little brother. There's that moment. Sam turns to Al. Al says, you know, says his line, and then it's which even saying it out loud doesn't sound right. But it, but yeah. But like, but no, it does make you wonder. It's like, did they did they flip flop on that in some way? Was there a yeah? And another you know, great question, like, you know, like you you brought up Lawrence, like like, is there a moment where where Tom like kind of knew, yeah, that magic was his little brother, in yeah. some way. I or, think or 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 maybe in the in the in the, in the last day and the, and the conversation that they had before the mission, like somehow, like in, in his mind, like magic took the place of his little brother. It was like a metaphorical thing, or or do you think like it's a literal uh, thing yeah. where, where where Tom knows that this is Sam? And here's why: I think it's because he's drunk. Because we get remember uh, we get the line where Al says in, in season one about how or season two how about children and people with very low IQs can see him yeah well if you think about it, you drink a whole lot you kind of lose a few intelligence points there yeah. if you will so I wonder if by being drunk and mm-hmm. also you're know, thinking about Maggie's in this state where she yeah. sees him like it makes me wonder it's like he's so drunk and he's also ex- you're just ecstatic over the fact that it's like I'm alive you know yeah. And then he sees him. I, I I don't think it's definitely not a case where he saw him before this. I yeah. don't think that. I think he's been seeing magic up until this point. I I but I also don't think it's like a it's like a magic a metaphorical brother. thing. No. Yeah. Got, I think okay. it's a literal. Got it. Yeah. Well, I also to support that to jump ahead to bring it back around to Hurricane, which mm-hmm. we talked about in last mm-hmm. episode. There's a moment in Hurricane where Sam is trying to evacuate some drunk people at a party, and one really drunk guy walks up to him, and I can't remember the exact line, but he's like. When I look at you out of this eye, you have this color eye. <laughs> when I look at you out of this eye, you have this color eye. And it's kind of like playing with the idea that yeah. that since he's drunk, he can kind of see that the person that Sam is not yeah. really him. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's my guess. Fan wank. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, so, so we, now he's a priest. So, yeah, now he, <laughs> now, yeah, now he looks into a priest. This is a very, like, innocuous, like, straightforward ending. Like, it's not... You know, out of freedom into double identity, where right. where it totally takes the piss out of the the episode. An interesting thing that I thought, which an interesting thing, I don't know if it's interesting or not. You guys have to tell me. But the thought that I had, it, it, you know, going back to the God time fate or whoever thing, the fact that he leaps into a priest after having this opportunity to basically, you know, he could have he could have saved his friend's marriage. Mm-hmm. He tried to save, you know, his family from all their mistakes and, and falls. He ends up actually saving Tom. He's made the supposition already that this is a reward for good behavior. Mm-hmm. Would it be too far of a stretch to say that by having him leap into a priest, it's a, maybe a subtle reminder of like, you still got work to do, you know, like you're, you're my guy, you know, I like that. Not that I'm necessarily buying into the, and we've even had the religious discussion before. Yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily buying into the whole God thing. It is some things that they, they do sometimes steer into within right. quantum leap. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a thought. I like that thought. Yeah. 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 When I next watch it, I will think of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I will go on. Sam uh, Beckett, officer of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a meme. Yeah. Uh, so on social media, we put up a poll on, on Twitter and Facebook. How high was it? No, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know. 
No, uh, so basically, like out of you, out of these three episodes, MIA, the poem part one, the poem part two, which one is your favorite? Uh, I, I think on Twitter it was MIA. Lee Poem Part 1. Lee Poem Part 2 got no votes. Yeah. I think on Facebook, MIA and Lee Poem Part 1 got equal votes. Mm-hmm. MIA, no votes. Wow. <laughs> or, or, or Lee Poem Part 2, no votes. Hmm. Uh, it's a good episode, but it just doesn't have the the emotional punch yeah. that MIA and the Lee Poem have. I would love to talk to a Vietnam vet, though, and see what their, yeah. what their uh, angle would be. Well, we have talked about this before. I mean, the, the, the looming shadow of Vietnam hangs yeah. over a good portion of Quantum Leap, but never sure. more so than these three episodes. Yeah. Um, and I, even generationally, like we've talked about before, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the, um, the guys that were Magic's age or Tom's age, for instance, would have been uh, in their you know, early 40s uh, if they were fortunate enough to make it home. Uh, and I think that that particular point in their lives would have, you know, there was enough distance um, to, to finally maybe approach it, certainly not in any comfortable way. Um, but it would be interesting to know. I know, you know, again, it's, it's my frame of reference, so I apologize for, for, you know, talking about it a lot. But I know in China Beach, um, they did this wonderful thing during the last season where they would actually uh, intersperse scenes in the, like, they, they it was kind of genius but the episode would be chugging along chugging along and Mm -hmm. then they were getting ready to go to commercial break and then all of a sudden modern day a real Vietnam vet would be there talking about an experience that might be parallel to what the episode was about Uh and the way that they were speaking about it you know you certainly had cases where some it was very very difficult others you know were maybe a little bit more detached but it, it I mean God, what the hell do I know? It's just, it's to, to I can't even imagine the bearing the weight of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and having been to the Vietnam Wall and having seen sure. people there that were clearly there to visit somebody for for lack of a better yeah sure wording um, yeah to to touch on the question of which is best, uh, I think I I took the poll and I think I did. I mean, my viewpoint won't have changed in a week, I suppose, <laughs> if it hasn't in, in 20 years. Um, I think I did go with the Leap Home Part 1. And, you know, in a way, you could almost compare um, uh, MIA, Leap Home Part 1, and Leap Home Part 2 with the original Star Wars trilogy. Now, now hear me out. <laughs> hear me out on this. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's. So for me, you know, The Empire Strikes Back is is the best of of the three. It's one Absolutely. of the greatest film of all time. Well, like uh, the Leap Home Part One, um, it it sort of it does leave you on a, a bit of a cliffhanger leading into the third one, and and directly correlates with what's going to happen um, in the third one. Um, and Emma, Emma, uh, excuse me, the Leap Home Part Two. Ends with a bit of a celebration there in the bar, just like at the Ewok Village. Absolutely. Um, now, how do I, how do I compare MIA to A New Hope? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I haven't thought this through. But, <laughs> but specifically, the, the 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 reason, yeah, it, it just feels like they made they they took an already existing, um, you know, strong part to the story, gave it a middle that was. For me, anyway, as strong as The Empire Strikes Back is for mm-hmm. Star Wars, and, and I, I don't know, um, it's hard for me not to say the Leap Home 
part one. Yeah. Um, because, as you said, it still becomes about partly about Al when you get into the Leap Home part two, but it's also about Sam, and it's it's really about. Oh gosh, it's kind of about yeah. I, I think that's I don't know. It, it, in some ways, it is about both characters, and and um, it's 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 more like The Empire Strikes Back. It's kind of. Um, multi-level yes um, very layered without a yeah, doubt yeah yeah so there we go I think I, I could I, I, you know as again I mentioned I think uh, in our recording session for MIA that I did feel that Leap Home Part 2 was underappreciated yes uh, mm-hmm. and I still stand by that yeah. Uh, but yeah I mean I agree I mean Leap Home Part 1 would be would, would be number one for me um, and MIA would probably end up being number two and, and Leap Home Part 2 might be number three but it would be a very 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 close race and I, I think the argument that I would use to sort of reinforce the importance and quality of Leap Home Part 2 is there is a part of me and I didn't always think this especially when I was you know growing up and re-watching the episodes like there was probably a, a, a summer where I pretty much watched Leap Home Part 1 every night yeah like legitimately like watched it every night before mm-hmm. I went to bed uh, I, I I got hooked on things and I would do that. I watched yeah. I watched It's a Wonderful Life every night for a, a summer as well. I did the same thing with Last Action Hero. I, I, well, <laughs> I don't know why but I did, and I'm right. willing to admit it. So mine was the Incredible Mr. Limpet. Oh yeah, with Don wow. Knotts. Yeah, <laughs> we've all led very different lives. Yes, yes. So, but what I was going to say is that uh, having said that, now I don't know that I could imagine only watching part one. I feel like I would have to watch part one and part two together. Yeah. Um, th- that said, I will also say that there's there's something about the cinematic quality of each individual episode mm-hmm. where it feels like a mini movie. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There's yeah. something about it compared to other television episodes, especially something so episodic in nature. Uh, even like I think Star Trek is actually a pretty good example. There are certain episodes of Star Trek that just feel like regular television, mm-hmm. and then you get to like Best of Both Worlds. Where it's like that feels like a movie, and not just because it's two parts, but just because of the stakes, because of you know, because of everything going on. So I feel like these these episodes feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting because I saw somebody as, as we were talking, uh, and I was I was just reading something because I wanted to verify a fact, and I jumped ahead, uh, and and somebody was comparing this to the Leap Home Part Two specifically to City on the Edge of Forever from mm-hmm. the original Star Trek, and how Edith Keeler dies in that episode, has to die in that episode in order for everything to be, you know, set right. Uh, and in a way, you know, Maggie Dawson has to die in order for everything to be set right in the context of this episode and kind of, can, you know, having the parallels there. Um, clearly the superior is Leap Home Part 2. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Right near hate mail, Star Trek fans. Now I own the episode on DVD. What am I talking about? But anyway... Um, so I think that there's something necessary about both episodes now, sure. and and and, and yeah. I don't know that I could probably sit down and just watch one of them. Right, I'd have to watch both of them. Yeah, maybe even all three if I was feeling ambitious. You know, if I if someone was going to sit down and just watch one viewing of Quantum Leap, and that's it, mm-hmm. it would be these three episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if this is like the only way you're going to experience the series. 
experience these three episodes. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like I, I feel, and this is not a knock on a lot of great season two episodes that I loved, but we've we've mentioned this before. Like Good Morning Peoria, I love that episode. I thought it was really well done. There's a lot to love about that episode. Patricia Richardson's awesome in that episode. You know, I mean, there's just some great stuff. But I don't know that I would put that on my like essential viewing list. Sure. You know, but I would still rank it highly as far as individual episodes go. Whereas these three episodes are, are like that perfect storm of feeling essential and also being great. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 Sometimes every once in a while you get that essential episode that's not so great. I totally no, I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. And you, you still have to I personally watch them and get through it. Um <laughs> I just realized Return of the Jedi and The Leap Home Part 2 are set in a forest kind of thing. So My there's, God. There's oh, yes. The oh, parallels yeah. are endless. I'm, I'm going to go home. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of figure out a way to shoehorn MIA in there myself. <laughs> yeah. I, but I think that it does exist. There's there's an element of, of, of like, the way that, um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm reaching now. I was going like, <laughs> to do, like, a Luke Skywalker-Ben Kenobi parallel, but yeah. I don't know that it's there. Rescuing the princess, Beth is, like... Princess Leia. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. That fucking lawyer Dirk is Darth Vader. Yeah. Wow, you yeah. really don't like that I just lawyer. Don't like I, I, I will, don't like that. I will defend either. him. Yeah. I can't defend he has he defends other he's a lawyer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't defend him either. No, I, I've always had that uh, yeah. yeah. And I feel like my my argument would still be had he been written maybe a little bit differently or had the actor played him a little bit differently, and I'm not blaming the actor necessarily, yeah. he could have been director, producer, whatever. But I there's to me there was a way to play that character that would have made him very, very likable, mm-hmm. that would have made you as a viewer kind of be like, oh, well, she should be with that guy. He's a really nice guy, mm-hmm. and, like, he's clearly... He likes her a lot, and he's not being creepy about it or anything, but instead, he's just this... <sighs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. No? No. No. Just say no to Dirk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, there's, we've got <laughs> cigarettes to Dirk. <laughs> we have so many great memes out of this that we could be, uh, yeah. that we could be doing. Now you got great material to talk about. Yeah. I well, mean, only a handful of people will get it, but... Hey, they're the best kind. We, we exist they for are. a handful. We, <laughs> there's our tagline. Yeah. We exist for a handful of people. Yeah. All right. Anyway, well, so next week we're back into like the regular run of the series. Yes. Proper. Yes. We've got um, a leap of faith. Leap I, of faith. I, this is a, a fun thing, and not to and not to steal the thunder of the other great quantum leap podcast out there. Uh, 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 Becca to the Future, which does things chronologically. It is interesting to note where in time where Sam is going to end up next. Mm. Uh, for Sam, he will pop up next six months later in Freedom. Oh. And, yeah. Because oh, this wow. is April of 1970. Then we jump to November of 1970 for yeah. Freedom. But for us, we are jumping back to somewhere in the 1960s with Leap yeah, of Faith. Yeah, it's August 1963. August 1963. Yeah. Leap of Faith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, what a ride. I mean, seriously, talking about these three episodes has been very different. Yeah. And I, I was talking to you, Lawrence, about this when we were kind of off mic about how it feels different than talking about the rest of the series. Uh, hopefully we've done it justice and that you've had fun with us, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We hope so, too. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and please come back. Please have me back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so real quick, I want to I want to actually ask you two things because we you know, we plugged um, your your vlog and your oh, Twitter please, yeah. last time around. Certainly wanted you to give you the chance to do that again. But uh, also, we didn't get a chance to really talk about this last time. 
when you and I, uh, again, we met probably almost like 10 years ago working on a show, um, uh, doing Shakespeare, old, Shakespeare in the Park. You, man, come on now. I'm right there with you. But uh, we, we were doing a production of Two Gentlemen of Verona, Shakespeare in the Park in Indianapolis. Yes. And, um, you know, that's how we met. So we kind of knew each other from that world. And during, you know, downtime, we were always talking, chatting, having a good time. Uh, anyway, after I left Indianapolis, and even really before I left, we hadn't seen a whole lot of one another, just because it's so easy when you're working in that world, like as an actor, like you do a couple of shows together, spend time together, have a great time, then you don't really work together, you're busy working on other projects, you don't get to see, you know, people a lot. So we kind of had had lost touch in so much that we weren't getting a lot of face-to-face time, but we always kind of kept track of one another through social media. Sure. When we started doing the podcast... I, very early on, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, I had reached out to you because you, you had, like, retweeted something or liked something and asked you about coming on. And, you know, my thought was, like, let's get you on as soon as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had stuff going on in your life at the time, scheduling-wise, it wasn't necessarily going to work, but you immediately were like, I really, really want to talk about Lee Palm. Yeah. And I'll, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but Dennis and I had kind of the reverence with which we held these two episodes. We were sort of like, maybe we'll fly solo on these. You know? right, maybe, right. maybe we don't necessarily, you know, especially like a first time guest. Like, I don't know what we want to do or anything. But you brought something up that really made me change my mind. And it's going to sound so silly in the context of things. But do you want to share what that was? Uh, if I remember what that was, uh, you mean uh, the messages that we had via Twitter? Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been a number of things, but uh, possibly to do with uh, the, my history with Indiana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it was yeah. actually. Which I know might sound a little silly, yeah. but it just there was something about that that made me say, you know what? I know this guy. I know he's smart. I know he's funny, and and I know who's, he's going to bring a lot. To the <laughs> yeah. And I know he's going to bring a lot to the table, no matter what we put him on. But when you said that, it just there's something about it that made me think. You know, he gets it like we get it, and there's no reason why we shouldn't have him on to oh, talk right, about yeah. this specific episode. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, I, honestly, and I, as we said, you know, in last week's episode, um, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Leap Home Part 1. Um, you know, it, it's had an, an unbelievable relevance to my most recent life, as I've said. Mm-hmm. And I, it's unbelievable to me, really, that uh, our lives should uh, re-intertwine at the very time that you've chosen to discuss this. But uh, yeah. funnily enough, in many ways, because I spent a good portion of the last year caring for my wife, whose father it was... I haven't really offloaded myself, you know, in this mm. sense, and and in a way, it's been, it's been good to do that. Um, but then, yes, the Indiana aspect was also not lost on me. I mean, that's it's pretty incredible that I, I did not expect to live in the middle of rural America. You know? <laughs> um, I, I really didn't. I mean, yeah. I moved from London to Anderson. You know, it's oh that's gosh. that's a culture shock in in many ways. Yeah, um, no doubt. Because even Indianapolis doesn't, as a city, doesn't compare to London. It does not. No. Um, it does not. But uh, but even so, Anderson, you know, this was a, a town very steadfastly losing people because of uh, closures to factories and, and all sorts. So that it was just a very uh, moribund place, uh, to use a word I've never used before. Well, I <laughs> kudos to you, sir. I'm very excited that you used that word. Yes. Hmm. 
Uh, where can people uh, find your your YouTube, your blog? So, uh, and we'll so, put this in the show notes too. Uh, brilliant. Um, Lostinthepond.com is where it is my central hub for everything because I write articles as well there sometimes. On there, just dealing with uh, British versus American differences in general. Uh, but today, I actually did a show um, uh, um, uh, on my channel on YouTube. Just type in Lost in the Pond in the search, you'll find it. Um, I did a, a video on uh, five TV shows that turned me on to America. You'll never guess what was in at number one. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. There was also Dynasty in there, though. A dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make a concession on that fact. But, uh, yeah, but wrestling is in there, too. And, wow, um, all right. Yeah, I don't want to give all of them away. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, it's funny, because I'm like, I want to know what five they are, but I don't want to ask you. The, uh, most right of here, them. Right I want everybody uh, to go. You can do a five-part like, series. I, I could, <laughs> and there's, there's probably more. But I will say that most of them, um, I... I wouldn't be into now necessarily. Sure. Um, Quantum Leap is an exception to that. I, I'm very much into it still now. Was one of them Hardcastle and McCormick? I'm going. Um, <laughs> I died. The, yeah. the scarecrow and Mrs. King. Let's just throw out asinine stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I, you know, I didn't. I, I think most people wouldn't sort of say these particular shows necessarily. It's just that when I was a kid, they were on and. Uh, yeah. They had a different impact, I suppose, in many ways. The, I've mentioned wrestling, so it's no, no spoil anymore. That wrestling, aside from being just wildly entertaining, <laughs> taught me American geography because they were in a different city every wow. week. Wow, well, that's so, really cool. And, and it became something I was fascinated with. And I learned sure. all the states and the state capitals as a child and, and you know, carried that with me. Oh, man. And it's been very useful for what I do on this channel as well. Sure. Hey, so here's a question that I have that kind of going off of that. Uh, not that I'm in for this to necessarily turn into an interview with, with Lawrence, but <laughs> I'm having fun. So uh, are there British television programs that have not made it over here or have not made it as big over here that you wish had because obviously like I mean I'm a bit of an Anglophile and mm -hmm. you, you know I mean I've got the Doctor Who collection mm -hmm. I, you know I've watched quite a few uh, of the like procedural dramas sure. mm -hmm. and the other even a few of the, the comedies and everything you know not, not just like the original Office although that is certainly one of them but are there any yeah. that like yeah. didn't necessarily hit over here that you wish had well I, I wish just for the purposes of this conversation that Doctor Who hadn't so that I could say Doctor Who <laughs> sure, and sure. talk about it at length um, but actually you mentioned The Office there when I think of shows that haven't made it over here often it's just British comedies mm -hmm. uh, or some of my favourite British comedies one of which is a show called Alan Partridge and um, it's a show that I think probably quite heavily inspired Ricky Gervais to do David Brent in the office. Okay. It's sort of uh, very naturalistically made mockumentary style type thing where the central guy, Alan Partridge, has his own radio show, but he's very socially inept, uh, but says all the things you wish you could, you had the guts to say to people because he's so unaware. Sure. You know, and it's marvelous. And I think it would translate over here. It just never really did. So that's. Yeah. Certainly I've not. heard I've heard of it, but I've never seen I've never seen an episode. But yeah. I've definitely I've definitely heard of it. Oh, it's great! But 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 only so much so as when you were talking about it. I thought it was he had a TV show, not a radio show. So clearly, <laughs> I don't. No, he, he did. He did. Okay, have a TV okay, show okay. As well, all right. Then maybe I'm not yeah. totally off base. <laughs> yeah, and he 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 never got a second series. Something he's he's been very bitter about since. Oh, and the great thing is his character emerged in about 1993, and he's still. They're still continuing this like story about him, yeah. And there's these character nuances that uh, grow with each uh, new uh, episode. It's, it's 
Great. Well, one of the things, so another show that I, that, that I, these days it's definitely more of a guilty pleasure, but I have to admit I went through a phase when I was like 19 or 20 where I could not get enough of it. It was absolutely fabulous. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing that kind of fascinates me about that show, and, and one of the differences I think in general with the way television is handled over there as compared to over here, is that, uh, you know, when we get a TV show, you got to just ride that horse for as long as you possibly can, make yeah. as many episodes as you can, go as long as you can. But with Absolutely Fabulous, in spite of the fact that there's like 10 or 12 seasons that exist, it was basically those 10 or 12 seasons were shot over like 20 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. So they, they would do a couple series, they'd take a few years off, they'd do a couple series, they'd take... And, and, and also, the other thing is, like, a series was only like six or seven episodes. That's right. And I, I, we've remarked about this before, that's kind of genius. Yeah. Because it, the creativity that can come about from that, yeah. it's, it's more finite... Yeah. And it, it feels more directed um, as opposed to with American television. Sometimes you just get this sense that it's like 22 episodes a season and uh, yeah, yeah, just have yeah. a lot of crap episodes. Well, right? the, the finest comparison I could make is, is The Office because, I mean, um, Ricky Gervais famously once said, it's quality, not quantity, right? Yeah. And he did six episodes in season one, six episodes in season two. The key is there. Season two was the last season. There were just two of them with Christmas specials. Um, And uh, I don't know. I mean, I I spoke earlier on in the video about how I really like comedies with an ounce of pathos in them. Yes. It delivers this humanity. I think, you know, real life is funny. And uh, and The Office does that for me. For me, The Office, the the British version, is, for me, it's my favorite all-time comedy TV show. I, think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I mean, I had, I, you know, I was lucky enough to have actually seen the first season before it made the transition. I hadn't seen the second season mm-hmm. or the, the final Christmas special um, before it made the transition over here. But I remember thinking, watching the American version, like as it aired that mm-hmm. first season and thinking, this is a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. And it was because the first season of The Office is for the most part basically a direct carbon copy of the first season of the British version yeah. and it does not work right. at all and then they figured out in between season one and season two we need to do our own thing yes and then after that it was pretty much brilliant for yeah. the next like three or four seasons after yeah. that you know but mm-hmm. yeah you know. I, I have to jump in and say that I, I did appreciate the American version yeah. too because often, often if I don't make that uh, distinction People jump on you. <laughs> sure. You only like the British yeah, version, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting because there are I have I have a very limited exposure. I feel like to the comedies. You know, there's definitely a few mm-hmm. that I've seen here and there, like the IT Crowd. And, yeah, you know, absolutely fabulous. Like I said, The Office. I'm sure there's a couple of others that just aren't coming to mind right now. But I am always interested because it's like I wonder what you know, like what would I pick? And I guess it's a little different. Just because American television and American entertainment does seem to be a little bit more marketed more internationally, yeah, um, than than say British television. But I but I'm always interested. It's like, what am I missing? Like, what's the really great thing that I need to go see? You know. Well, <laughs> so I always go back to like, 20 years. I'm not uh, hip. Sure, right? so, yeah, that was fine. Um, but one show um, you've seen, Shaun of the Dead. The yes. Spaced? Spaced. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes, I've yeah. seen Spaced, yes. Great, oh, excellent. God. Well, and you're rare in America for someone who has. It just didn't 
do that well as you. Well, I was pissed because it used to be on Netflix, and that yes. and that made me so happy because I was yeah. like, oh, this is I'm going to try this out. It was so great, and, yeah. and probably about like ten years ago or so was when I first watched it, mm-hmm. maybe. And uh, and yeah, it's not it's not available on Netflix anymore. And I just remember looking for it. Oh, well, this is a while back, it's a few years ago, and it's like. Damn it! Where's space? Like, yeah. why the hell isn't it there? Because it, it is yeah. incredibly good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Two seasons again, uh, seven episodes, I think, each time. Yeah, yeah. And now we've come back to our Star Trek, Star Wars, sci-fi connections. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, because Simon Pegg is in both, right? That's, yeah, yeah. Written that's right. Portions of both, mm. I think. So. Yeah, he was yeah. actually talking recently in an interview about the next two Star Trek films, um, which he is writing or co-writing and, and, you know, working on one pretty intensively. And then the other one, he has no idea if he's even going to be in, but he's one of the producers now, I guess. His career is unbelievable. Because right. He, he, he sort of in space touched upon, you know, all of the, the geekdom that he was very much into the thought that he would one day be directed by Steven Spielberg, be in star Wars and star Trek. When I was watching space, that thought was a million miles away. Sure. And then Shaun of the dead took off. Um, yeah. And it was great after that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Quentin Tarantino is the guy writing the other Star Trek. Yes. That is very curious. Which apparently, based on some of Simon Pegg's comments, there's there's, uh, the thought that potentially it's not going to be like in the same universe or something. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. weird. Anyway. <laughs> Alright. Well, we should wrap up. Yeah. Let you get home. Uh, Dennis, let you get home. I am already home. I'm yeah. just going to sit here and watch TV now. Yeah. But uh, we're going to leap out of here. Thank you so, so much for joining us. These have been two, three, three of my favorite episodes to do. Um, three of my favorite episodes of the show. Um, yeah. Jens, do you have anything else? No. I'm good. Great. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much thank for Thank you for listening. coming on. And thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you check out uh, the vlog, the site, the Twitter. Like I said, he's a very smart and very funny man. Yeah. He mm-hmm. might not believe it, but I do. Just don't check out my home. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But thank you guys so much. Take care, and we will uh, talk to you next time for Leap of Faith. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. Can't see, you'll never know